This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the show, guys. Thank you for joining me here on the Australian Hunting Podcast. Today I'm talking with Graham Park and David Brown from Shooters Union Australia. This podcast goes for just over about two hours and we talk about a lot of different content from what's happening in Queensland uh, to what Shooters Union hope to achieve, uh, what they want to achieve in the future and what makes them different to other shooting organisations around Australia. And ultimately, I think organisations that have competition with each other is ultimately a good thing. Uh, We talk about rights versus privileges. I know there's been some uh, contentious disagreements in the past with a lot of different people on gun ownership. Often we refer to guns when we talk about them in the media amongst ourselves. We talk to them, we discuss them as gun rights, which is, in my opinion, correct. Yet when we talk about government, we're in the media, we're talking to the media, we often refer to them as privileges, which I don't think is the case. As we know, being over the age of 18, with no criminal record, you have a right to a firearms license, period. When you live in the States too, just because they have a constitutional right to own a firearm, anyone with a criminal offence or a felony cannot own a firearm in the United States. Same as here in Australia. Unless they obviously get the firearm illegally, then obviously there's nothing you can do. But by law, they cannot own a firearm if you've committed certain offences, just like here in Australia. So very, very good topics, a lot of discussion, really good time. want to thank Graham and David for coming on the show. That's really exciting. But before I go on with the show, Aussie Reviews, I'm just looking at my computer right here now. If you go to shootersunion.com.au, they're offering life memberships. The Aussie Reviews Special, uh, formerly $600, now they are down to $379, guys, for a life membership. Aussie Reviews was able to uh, get that deal through the Shooters Union, and that is a life membership to offer you a genuine reason to own firearms. For, I think he said if you have a membership for 40 years, it turns out to be about 9 or $10 a year. 30 years is about 18 or $19. I mean, compared to other organizations and other shooting clubs, that's up to five times cheaper per year, per year, guys, than any other organization that will give you a genuine reason. So if you want to check them out, you can go to shootersunion.com.au and you can go join and uh, find out about those life memberships for $379, uh, courtesy of Aussie Reviews, which is just awesome. I'm just looking at their license times now. They offer licensing for Category C, H, um, I mean, dealers, armorers, uh, instructors, collecting, everything. Security, uh, they do absolutely everything. So check them out, shootersunion.com.au. I hope you guys enjoy the show. I know it's been a few weeks in between shows. I just got back from hunting ducks on the Riverina. Had a great time. We bought home a whole uh, Merino hoggett, about 15, 14, 15 months old. Cut it up, hung it for us. So we skinned it, gut it hung it up for about five days, then we used the bandsaw to cut it up the day before we left. I had some of this lamb last night, best lamb or best hoggett, two tooth I've ever tasted in my life. I can't believe how good it is. And I spent about $50, I went halves with a mate, and the amount of meat that I got, just unbelievable. So we had a great time and uh, hopefully we'll do it again next year. If you want to email me, email me australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com or click on the contact icon on the website. Thank you to all the people that donate, all the people that listen to the show. 
steadily we're getting more and more listeners week in and week out, which is absolutely fantastic. I can't thank everyone enough. Uh, I know we sometimes disagree. Sometimes we agree, and ultimately, that's what this podcast is for, to air people's opinions, to air my opinions, and to to move gun ownership forward uh, in Australia, I think, is ultimately the most important thing, to get your friends and family into it, to join clubs, to go hunting with your friends, and uh, be in the outdoors with your friends and your family, because that's what it's all about. So without further ado, let's get into my interview with today's guests, uh, Graham Park and David Brown from Shooters Union Australia. Hi, this is Russell Mark, Olympic gold medalist, and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast. We have two representatives from Shooters Union Australia. We've got David Brown and Graham Park sitting right next to me in, uh, here in Queensland. It's uh, definitely warmed up, and it's a pleasure to have these two guys with us. Guys, thank you very much. Thank you for having us, Jason. Yeah. Good to meet no, you, and thank you. Absolutely. Tell, first off, I want to find out about you guys. I mean, first off, how did you guys get involved with Shooters Union, or even better, how did you get involved in firearms ownership, and why? I think I started shooting when I was uh, probably seven or eight years old on the farm when Dad bought me the first air gun. So ever since then, which has been many, many years, and uh, if it goes bang, I enjoy shooting it. I enjoy hunting. I enjoy you know, popping off clay targets with David. I enjoy pistol shooting. I pretty much enjoy shooting steel gongs at, at distances. Of, if, if you name it, if it goes bang and you can hit something with it, it sounds good fun to me. What do you shoot clay targets? What sort of um, what sort of disciplines in clay targets do you guys shoot? I just shoot out in the paddock with a clay target thrower. David shoots all the disciplines. He's I'm, he's the competitive one. I'm the one that corrupts him. So um, uh, no, my wife and I just shoot locally at the club. And uh, Graham has a farm not that far from our family farm, so uh, if we get an opportunity to uh, shoot a few clays and uh, you know have a cup of tea in the afternoon, it's uh, it's all very good. How did you guys end up meeting each other? What was the was it you know at a at a, a meet or a range or we uh, Shooters Union invited a Canadian politician named Gary Brightkreitz out to Australia to speak uh, around Australia and to speak to politicians, and in so doing in by the way, if you want to see him, we've we've got his uh, talk. I, I interviewed Gary, by oh, the way, for they, about an hour and ten minutes. That's right, yeah. you did too. I've forgotten <laughs> that, sorry. He did a great interview with Gary. So Gary's a great guy. You can look at the archives and you'll find it on our site, on Shooters Union site. You'll find a video of him. But as we had him around the country in Brisbane where we had him, David came along and uh, approached us afterwards and we were talking and then David just started to get more and more involved in Shooters Union and he's now uh, Vice President of both Shooters Union Queensland and nationally as Shooters Union Australia. Did your parents shoot, Graham, when they were younger? Obviously, when you were younger... They, when they you... shot on farms, like mum had a snake gun and dad had, <laughs> you know, half, half a dozen guns around the farm and uh, so forth. And, and yes, yeah, so I was just raised, there was always one in the corner. Yeah, you obviously... Because a little bit of an age gap, just by a little bit, I guess, compared to you two. A lot. I'm much lot. younger. <laughs> David's much younger. <laughs> what was it? I want to talk about one thing before we just ask David those same questions. What was it like in firearms ownership, obviously before 1996, when you were growing up as a young lad? Um, it seems to have changed, I guess, over the last especially 15 or 20 years, I would say, since 1996. I mean, I remember I told a lot of people this story. My, um, my uh, dad's dad, my grandfather, used to go from Sydney to Lithgow with his rifle over his shoulder. 
uh, on the train. That was considered normal. No one blinked an eyelid. He did that in today's day and age. SWAT, you know, poll there would be above you. And um, what was it like when you were growing up? How well, different when, was when it? I was, I went, being from the country, I ended up at boarding school in Sydney. And we used to go down to Mick Smith's and other gun shops on a Saturday morning at the end of George Street. And uh, they would let us take the rifles out into the street so we could look through the scope. And we would just scope up George Street and no one blinked an <laughs> eye. I can tell you, no one, pedestrians just walked past like you were holding a hammer. They didn't care. Yeah, unbelievable. David, how did you get us get into firearms? Did your parents hunt, shoot, etc.? No, uh, interestingly not. Um, I'm really not that much younger than Graham. I'm almost 50. The um, shooting for me started off with one of my best mates at school, um, army cadets, uh, scouts, and my scoutmaster and my best mate's father, um, probably one of the founding members of a pistol club here in Brisbane, and uh, so we started to shoot air naturally, and then later on twenty twos. Uh, my brother and I uh, used to do a bit of shooting, you know, up in the bush and the farm. We had semi-automatic centerfire rifles and things, and uh, you know, there was that was normal. That was that was nothing unusual. I mean, you know, as kids we used to uh, do our best to annihilate the t- cane toad population of southeast Queensland with an air rifle. My brother used to pick up the air rifle pellets after school on his way home. You know, that was very normal, and that wasn't that long ago. We're talking mid-'80s. So I went through that sort of typical school, cadet, scout kind of thing. Port Arthur happened around about the time our kids were born, busy with that and boating and aviation and businesses and everything else. And it's only just been in recent years that I've actually gotten back in, and uh, my wife and I just we're into everything so we competitively pistol shoot we ipsc shoot we clay target shoot for fun mainly um and i do a bit of hunting because we like a little bit of deer in the freezer and uh you know there's probably not much about the the entire shooting uh, uh spectrum that we're not at least interested in even if we don't actually do it yeah, did you guys, uh, I guess this is a question for both of you, being sort of around back then, did you guys have to hand any guns in in 1996? <laughs> They're looking at us. Uh, who's first? I didn't, who, I didn't like, because no. I, did, I myself didn't. Just any. Got back my in, brother yeah. did, yeah. yeah. We, when I say my brother, my family, um, they were his. Obviously, he didn't need, you know, licensing and, you know, be Cat D today. Um, so, yeah, he lost a couple of nice rifles. He kept, uh, I think, a three oh three and a few other things, you know, sort of family stuff. Um but, yeah, I wasn't into – neither of us were into handgun shooting, so uh, we weren't subjected to any of that sort of stuff. But uh, it certainly did take a little bit of fun out of the back paddock. Graham? Well, I think the whole thing was a disgraceful episode in, in Australian history of how people were, were treated and continue to be treated. Uh, I chose not to hand any, in, any into the buyback. Instead, I went and did business with dealers and sold them uh, to a dealer – uh, who could still have them and and utilise yeah, them, good, yeah. as opposed I just didn't want to be any part of, of, of such a disgraceful, uh, what I felt and still feel is a disgraceful uh, stain on Australia's character. Do you, we were talking about this, obviously we had dinner before we came in here and um, we were talking about, you know, we're now with registration um, and we'll talk about property rights. Very interesting, very interesting actually that um, when we obviously buy a firearm, we go to the shop, we pay our money down. Um, I mean... The government can take, especially with these Adlers, they can come and take them at any time. I don't know what's going to happen with the five or the seven shot. 
I reckon they'll probably allow the five shot. I'm doing a jinxes just yet, and they probably might get rid of the seven and make it a cat C. But doesn't this leave an, another issue, especially with all lever actions? Um, but do we really own these guns? I mean, do we really own our own guns? Can the prop? Can they? Just, if they if police can just come and take them any time. They put a, a a line through a specific gun tomorrow. Do we really own them? Is this a property rights issue? I mean, I've talked about this a lot on the show. I think it is a property rights issue, and that's why I chose to uh, sell firearms to to a dealer at a loss, uh, rather than get more money in the, in the so called buyback, because. If it's your legally owned, freely held properly property, you should own it and you have rights to that, whether that's a motor car, whether that's a firearm, whether that's a piece of property. And unfortunately, government is, has been working to take away that property ownership and property rights in, in many areas uh, over the last you know, probably 40, 50 years. And, and yes, I think, it's, I think the firearm issue is just another and very pointed example of that for firearm owners. We're essentially in a position now, because the guns are registered, that they tomorrow morning, without passing any new legislation, they just suddenly change, as is Tasmania recently, the police down there suddenly decided that they didn't like anything that had a barrel shroud or a pistol grip or an adjustable stock, all of which are things used by highly competitive shooters almost universally they all have those features. And they just decided, not with legislation or with anything, that, oh, we're going to go around and collect all those. Well, hey, wait a minute. Who owns them? There's something very, very wrong with that picture, and I don't think we should accept that. I, th- I think we should f- uh, fight that in, in every legal manner we can in the courts and through electing politicians that respect property rights on all levels. What do you guys think of the Adler? I mean, you know, do you think the, I guess... You know, bad publicity is, is legitimate. Do you think it's just being demonized again? You know, like, is it, is it just any different than any other firearm? Does two shots make it different from five to seven? What, Jason, um, I've got a few views on this and a couple of different areas. Firstly, it's just another lever action shotgun, but a little bit more modern cosmetically. Um, you know, we've seen some plenty of good reviews uh, on, on YouTube and what have you. Aussie Reviews has done a classic one. Aussie, he's always brutally honest. And, uh, yeah, he said, great shotgun, a bit hard on his knuckles, but, you know, use it a bit, it'll free up. Just another good lever-action shotgun. That's the firearm itself, but it's a bigger issue, I think. Um, The whole five-shot, seven-shot, you know, my personal opinion is they just need to move on. You know, the NFA just needs to say, hang on, this is quite okay, has been for the last 20 years, let's just leave it alone. As for the Adler and a benefit, it's really motivated myself, you, Graham, and a few hundred thousand others. So I've seen on the internet, and I'm sure you have, plenty of people sticking it into the Nia company. Um, you know, tall about, poppy. About the video, about yeah, the video they a made. Tall poppy syndrome going on here. Oh, you know, all they've done is create trouble for us. Well, you know what? Trouble was coming. The gun control extremists were ramping up and looking for an excuse pre-Port Arthur anniversary. So what this did was gave them some material to attack us with, but it wasn't good material. It actually backfired on them. And what it did do was get all of the shooters, or as many shooters as possible, all motivated. We're now all writing to our local MPs. We're writing to our senators. You guys are talking about it. We're getting politically motivated. 
the Adler was the best thing for us as shooters. Um, you couldn't. I don't think Robert and I could have written this as a script. You know, it was, it was the unintended benefit. You know. Yeah, there's a lot of competition, isn't there? They've got the, uh, I think the Partis, they've got the Usecon, there's an Emerald, obviously the IACs, obviously. Um, a, li- a lifting tide lifts all boats, and I think people in the industry forget that, that, you know, sometimes this actually helps everybody, you know, so inter- I, I think it was a good thing. The interesting thing with lever-action shotguns is they're incredibly unpopular. They are a non-event anywhere in the world except Australia because... We have this weird legislative thing, uh, area that says pump-action shotguns and semi-automatic shotguns, which are widely accepted in, in all countries around the world, even England, which has a lot more strict firearm laws than us, accept semi-auto and pump shotguns as a normal sporting use. I'm not talking about military-style ones. I'm talking about the normal, everyday stuff you take to a clay target club or go out and shoot a few ducks or whatever you do, and... To demonise those to the point that we're now using an inferior technology, lever action in Australia, and they're popular, it's, it's sort of funny about the – says a lot about our laws, but I think our laws are wrong, and we, we focus on is this a good gun or a bad gun. It's irrelevant because they're just, they're just a tool, they're just an article, a mechanical article. We should be focused in this country, as is New Zealand and or – Canada to a large degree, not on the type of firearm, but on who can have access to firearms and that we keep firearms out of the hands of irresponsible people and people who've proven themselves responsible and gone through, you know, training, background checks and things. I'm not sure why we should be worrying too much about is it this sort of firearm they're allowed to own or that sort of firearm they're allowed to own. I think that's a far less relevant question because you can do plenty of damage with a single shot twenty two if you're a bad person. If well, you're a good person, you're not going to do any damage with a 20 shot. Perhaps we should reward people that have been good firearm owners after a year or so and then start freeing up the cat C's and D's perhaps. I don't know. Mm. You know, well, instead of being penalised. What about when people say, and I hear this a lot, they try and draw the correlation uh, to this new Adler, to a pump shotgun. I've got one. I've got a Remington 870. Um, a lot of people say you can slam fire it, which means, you know, basically well, I hold the trigger, I pump it, and I'll keep shooting with my finger on the trigger. Well, I've found with my model that that doesn't happen. So when they try and compare it to a pump action, I mean, for me, what's the difference between a five-shot shotgun I can lever down or one that pumps backwards and forwards? You know, I think pumps, obviously, as you guys, would, I'm sure, would agree, were you know, classified incorrectly, or they shouldn't be classified at all. But if we're going to talk about classifications, um, you know, really, why aren't we? A lot of people don't want to. And I'm, I'm in your shooters union capacity, I guess. A lot of people don't want to say, "Oh, don't, you know, I hear this from pro gunners. Oh, oh, don't say it's like a pump; they'll take them off us." I mean, why aren't we then using that? And say, "Yeah, well, they're not. They're not any different. We should be having pump action shotguns." Well, I think it was a, a media person that um, mentioned something to John Howard about. Uh, pump action shotguns after a movie or something and he said we'll ban them too i think that's how how we got the stupid law to begin with so if that's uh, the basis for good legislation i think we're in pretty bad shape yeah tell, oh, first of all i guess we'll go back to a little bit i just tell us about shooters union um you know what was the reason they formed um i guess what's your you know political philosophy in regards to the direction that the shooters union australian you want the which, which direction do you want it to go in Shooters Union was formed by Jan Lindsley and a few others uh, back, probably going back 10 years almost now, 
on the basis that, that, and I was one of the people, not at the initial forming, but very soon after, on the basis that we were sick and tired of the way shooters were treated in 96, and not that it didn't end in 96, that was just the beginning, and that the lack of respect for people who jumped through all sorts of legal hoops, background checks, everything else, stuff that the general population doesn't do. And as over a million Australians have done that, and they deserve to be treated with respect, and we felt that they weren't being treated with respect and still aren't by, by the bureaucratic powers around the country. And so we started first in Queensland and then expanded nationally with a group of people where the organisation was focused on protecting the rights of f- legitimate firearm users. And we weren't focused as a sporting group. We were focused very differently in that we, we were supportive of every type of legitimate use, be that a clay target shooter on a range, be that a farmer in the paddock, be that a security guard, be that a police officer using it, be that a collector, whatever area of legitimate firearms use as occupational, sporting, recreational, whatever it may be, if, if, if that was a legitimate use, we wanted to support it and stand up for the rights of those people. And we were very small, but it took off and... Um, it's, it's started to grow and grow and grow and it's, it's continuing to grow and has become now a national body and in several states can be a reason to own a firearm such as in Queensland, New South Wales and, and Western Australia and we're getting ready to expand into other states with, with that sort of thing. So that's how it started. What do you think in Queensland? How's it going so far? I think it was Joanne Miller, obviously. She was a former police minister. Now it's Bill Byrne, I think it is. Um, what's the state, I guess, of uh, firearms ownership in Queensland? I know they were supposed to have a was it stakeholder committee group or whatever it may be. How's that looking? I know he doesn't want to... David's our representative on that committee, so... Uh... Oh, there you go. David, question for you. Yeah, I, I got handballed that one by uh, our illustrious president. Mr. Park, um, <laughs> how did that meeting go? Uh, it was very pleasant. It was very civil. Um, the minister had uh, his 20 cents worth uh, at the beginning and explained to us how the, uh, how the, the forum was supposed to work. Um, we had some very good support, would you believe, out of complete left field. The academic brought in was immediately, you'd swear he'd spent the last six months with Gary Brycrest. You know, he was on our side. So that showed that there was a balance there that was actually in favour of sensible legislation. And you've got to understand, we believe in sensible legislation. Not reckless, but sensible. We probably don't have sensible right now. And, uh, and that applies to every state. So we had a couple of good people around the room. Um, I was very disappointed that the single biggest group that deal with weapons regulations and the Weapons Act every day were not represented. And when I asked this question, I sort of got a bit of a, well, let's just say, you know, the eyes of death from the minister. And um, and as has come out just recently, the Queensland dealers are, are proposing like strike action um, because they're not getting any... Uh, commitment from the government One in terms of have, communication. Do you, do you think there will be a strike, or is it all talk from the dealers? What do you, what do you think about that? The Queensland farm dealers have, have the Queensland farm dealers have voted in favour of doing that. Uh, it's certainly not mandatory on every dealer, but 
a large number of dealers have indicated that they will do exactly that. So that will, will not affect new gun sales. It will affect brokering of guns. So uh, under the Queensland legislation and under the legislation in almost every state, I believe, you can't sell guns without brokering them through either a dealer or a police station. Correct, yeah. So the dealers are going to withdraw from that under protests of, of not being heard, and that will put the pressure on police stations having to do those transfers, and obviously there's a bit of a standoff as, as to that. Yeah, interesting. Um, you've, got to, you've got to understand the dealers have actually really stepped up a few times. There's been amnesties and things that... Um, uh, just thinking the last one, I think Cleavers here in Brisbane and a couple of other dealers, I think, got right behind. The Dealers Association did a lot, a lot of unpaid work on, in behalf, assist, of on, on behalf of the government and has continued to and has contributed, to, regardless of whether it was a Labor or a, a Liberal National Government, whatsoever sort of government it was, they've been on committees ever since they started. And to not have such a large group representative does seem curious. <laughs> to put it mildly, <laughs> we're the queen of and sorry, the king of diplomacy here. Queen, who's the queen here? The king of diplomacy here. Uh, there was seemed to be under Newman. There seemed to be a, a bit of red tape dropped, if I'm correct. I'm not hugely up on Queensland legislation, but I, I think from what I read, Newman was doing some fairly good things. What about under Palaszczuk? Is that uh, all stopped? Is, is there no lines of communication? Or well, I could. Probably comment on one thing at least that when we went up to that NFA time slot of about November last year, we were very worried that um, out of the states there was going to be enough states were going to sign up to the thing uh, in reference to the Adler. And we attended a meeting uh, along with SSAA and uh, a couple of the Queensland uh, parliamentarians and um, I think uh, Shane Knuth and Robbie Catter certainly helped uh, in this in brokering that meeting with the Premier's office. And as a result of that, Queensland gave it the thumbs down. So I'd be the last person, particularly because I was in the room that night, I'd be the last person to say they've done nothing. Um, they certainly did... Well, they resisted political suicide, perhaps. So maybe maybe it wasn't a hard decision once the facts were explained. But um, we haven't seen a lot of positive stuff. And what Shooters Union is always trying to push for is things that are actually positive, either streamlining PTA systems, maybe abolishing registries, or even let's just not look at the firearm owners. What about the criminals? And one of Graham's... Um, uh, pet projects, I suppose, is forcing the government to do something more productive when it comes to criminals and criminal theft. So, and Graham will tell you, you get the same penalty for stealing a why is poster. it? If you steal a television set out of someone's house, you're going to get about the same penalty as if you steal a firearm. And yet, over and over and over again, the firearm, the legitimate firearm owner, is harassed, summoned charged with improper storage and and they should store them properly i agree but let's let's look they're the victim we should be looking at the criminal what the hell is going on when the criminal that comes and steals your stuff 
They're not chasing him around or her around. I'm on they're, trial. They're chasing you. That, how about this? Very simple. Steal a gun, go to jail. Steal a gun, go to jail. If you're going to get five years in jail every time you steal a gun, I bet you next time they knock over your house, they actually leave the darn guns in the gun safe and don't take them. Are you looking to buy a new or used firearm? Do you want to sell that safe queen to fund your next purchase? Then go to OzGunSales.com. We have over 200 registered firearms dealers Australia-wide and thousands of shooters using the site daily. There are over 2,500 firearms listed, so you're certain to find exactly what you're looking for. We have over 50 years of firearms industry experience, including 8 years online. So why wouldn't you advertise with us? The one and only genuine original OzGuns. Would you like to advertise on one of the most tech-savvy mediums on the internet? Then why don't you advertise with us on the Australian Hunting Podcast? If you have a product or business that you would like to promote, then we would love to hear from you. Become one of our partner advertisers by calling Jason on 0425-881-967 or email australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. Looking for outdoor equipment for your next adventure? At Aussie Outdoor Gear, you can find cooking equipment, camo clothing for kids, backpacks, camo accessories and much more. We cater for your hunting, fishing, camping, hiking and other outdoor pursuits with our unique product range. AussieOutdoorGear.com.au Quality gear at affordable prices. Good point. With um, Shooters Union, obviously we've got a, different, a vast array of organisations. How are you guys different than any other organisation? We're probably a little more politically active. Um, if you look at probably the, 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 the biggest national association, SSSAA, they run ranges and they've got all sorts of other programs and magazines, etc., etc. And we're a little bit more nimble, a little smaller, obviously, and uh, we can be a little bit more proactive. Um, so it's, it's a different business model. And we've come from different origins. As Graham explained earlier, um, we're really out there. Our purpose is to get greater respect for the shooting people, or the shooting uh, community, and to eventually push back on some of the stupid legislation that we have to deal with. Basically, if you want to put it in politically correct terms, we'd like to modernise and streamline some legislation that didn't risk public safety, but gave us more freedom and more respect and just made our lives a whole heap better, whether that be dealers, whether that be security people or farmers or even you. Um, it, we're all in this together and we, believe you we don't could, represent any one group. We believe you could increase public safety whilst at the same time radically reducing public cost and... Um inefficiencies and so we've been focused on that and we work in conjunction with many most of the other shooting groups and uh, in fact most of our members are members of other ones that both David and I are probably members of half dozen different shooting associations yeah me too and and um as I know you are, you're, you're on a board of, of different ones in different areas. And, I mean, I think it's really important that we all work together. Uh, but, and people say, shouldn't there be just one? And then I go, well, people have different focuses, and that's okay, so long as we all work together in the end. 
like we're not making any claims about trying to run a lot of matches and, and do that. We're hopeless at that. We'll, we'll put our hand up as we'd be useless at that. But, you know, we're pretty nimble and we're pretty good at getting in the po- political offices and we can get meetings with politicians and we can sit down privately with them and talk to them because they know that we take a strong stand but we're reasonable and we've got our facts straight and we want to go after sensible legislation and they'll talk to us. Interestingly, we also get a lot of um, contact from the media and more and more from the mainstream media. And I think that's because we present ourselves as being rational, sensible, professional people, not yahoos, and we really do set a high standard for the way we perform with the media. And, uh, you know, you've seen plenty of examples of Graham on TV, a few less of me, fortunately. Um, And... uh, (laughs) The, uh, the results are speaking for themselves. You know, we are getting a very good, you know, sometimes our, our media contacts are the first ones that they approach because they know they'll get good quality uh, commentary from a professional uh, shooting association. And at the same time, we never apologise for shooters. Shooters should not be apologising for our existence. And unfortunately, sometimes in the past... Some people have gone out to speak so-called on the behalf of shooters and they seem to apologise for our existence. We don't need to apologise for our existence and we shouldn't be. And and we're finding that the media, whilst they might not agree, they actually like that because it can create a little bit of of, of, of to and fro but in in a polite, respectful manner. Speaking of, that's a very interesting question. Just previously, you just brought up about public safety. I mean, you said about creasing in public safety. Some people say this whole where the government talks about public safety is just a complete myth. It doesn't exist. You were talking about things you would like to see that would increase public safety without going, obviously, into absolute specifics. What do you mean by that? Give us, do you have any examples of that that would increase? Yes. Uh, every state's different, and so I can't speak to this on a national level. However, um, I'll give you an example in Queensland. In Queensland, and I think it's the same in several other states, you apply for a PTA, that is still a paper-based system. And that piece of paper comes back, comes into your mailbox, and it's good for three to six months after it's issued for you to just walk into any gun shop and pick up that type of gun. What happens if you get a DVO or something in the meantime and or you get arrested for armed robbery or whatever it is, you've lost your license. You've still got the piece of paper. If they, you know, they're not doing instant check, they're not doing anything. You could yeah, walk in right. and get yep. it. Yep. That can be. You could get rid of the whole PTA system and have it where you go into the gun shop. They do an instant background check, True, which yep. would increase public safety and at the same time decrease cost by millions of dollars. And surely that's a benefit to everyone. I, I wouldn't understand why anyone would be against it. Well, CASA doesn't uh, put a limit or a, you know, a permit to fly. I mean, if I'm rated on a particular aeroplane to do a certain thing, I can go and get as many of them as I like. Have you ever been challenged at the Toyota dealer? No, Where's your no. permit to buy that new Hilux you want? <laughs> Actually, ask no, if, hang on. Ask I've... if you've got a driver's license and that's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, really, I think once you're, once you're a licensed individual and you are known then to be a good, fit and proper person, you should be good to go. If that is then denied of you, it should be stopped instantly. And that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. What would you guys like to see? Let's talk about laws quickly. What would you like to see? What's realistic? 
in say achievements, you might say. I mean, what do you agree? Let's start off. What do you agree with and don't agree with with the current system? Uh, we we agree uh, quite strongly that there should be good background checks. We have uh, we agree about safety training. We think that they're very good things. Uh, we agree that if a firearm's not in use, uh, that it should be stored safely. Uh, that comes to about the end of where, where we agree. Licen- licensing, obviously. Uh, I obviously think licensing because that's with yeah, the background yeah, check yeah. And, and that. We don't agree. We believe that they, the governments around Australia should immediately get rid of, of registration for at least Category A and B, the most common firearms, because that would free up tens of millions of dollars a year nationally to be put into active policing of criminal misuse of firearms. And in the modern world, those firearms are easy to track anyway because they're tracked from manufacturer through importer through the wholesaler and the laws already say you can't sell it privately so it's already tracked. It's an irrelevancy system to have those registries and all it's doing is keeping people in jobs that you know, it, it, it was done it pre-internet and pre-digital age and it's, it's a dinosaur and yet it's still there. So things like that is what we'd like to see cleaned up. And those people in jobs should be doing something more important in terms of public safety. And that's the whole point. You know, there's, there's a... Out arresting criminals. You're kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> I had a great discussion with this and I know you, on a system of what's achievable, I had a great discussion with someone recently, like you said, get rid of registry for A and B. And then we're having a discussion about higher categories, even category H. I mean, if registration doesn't work for a category A, how does it work for a category H? How does it work for a category C? How does it work for a category D? I mean, wouldn't... Uh, well, they don't have registries in New Zealand for cats, C's and D's, do they? No. What no, about Canada? No, they scrapped that. Exactly, for long in hours, fact, yep. In fact, I think Gary brought up the, the point that the registries in, New, uh, in Canada, through complacency, admittedly, of police, actually caused the death of, uh, I think, at least one female and another uh, police officer because they went into a domestic environment thinking, no firearms here. Well, they were wrong. And the registry created that false sense of security. But the biggest, the single biggest problem is if that registry gets breached... And we know of that happening here in Australia. And we know of criminal gangs that shopping list for, list want for to criminals. get a hold of data from various police forces by infiltrating the police. And we know that that's happened in some parts. Shopping list. And I think every shooter in this country should be jumping up and down about the fact that their details are stored somewhere that... Nobody can guarantee. I know the government says, you know... Is it, value, is it value for money? No, it's, 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 a, it's a total waste of money. And worse than that, I mean... Look, Compromises they just, safety. They just had the, the, just had the Australian <laughs> census, right? They spent tens of millions. They spend more on security for that than they do on a firearms registry, I can guarantee you. And, and what and a success. what happened. Gee, that ought to tell us something. And, and you raised before, Jason, about should it just be A and B or should it be other things? Well... I just think from a realistic point of view, some people tell us we're unrealistic suggesting even getting rid of it for A and B. It's there. Yeah, it'll always yeah, be there. Yeah. Well, I think if someone looks at it in the modern age and goes, wait a minute, a gun comes into this country, it's tracked into a system, into a computer system that the, both the state and federal governments have. It then goes to whatever state it's going to, to a wholesaler, it's tracked. It's going to a retailer of a gun shop, it's tracked. It's then tracked when it's bought, it's blindingly easy 
to have a system that won't cost the public one cent because the dealers effectively, the firearms industry, are already paying for a parallel system that tracks it, which is far more accurate because it's got commercial interest and it's far safer because it's, it's not all centrally located. And then once again, there's a commercial interest in keeping it it's safe. But as far as us getting it for other categories other than A and B, I just think that that's uh, achievable. less achievable. The other thing from a practical standpoint is in Australia, because of the way our laws have been for many years, there are a very small number of category H or C and D firearms by comparison with the A and B. And so f- therefore, it's less of a cost savings. You, 90% of your costs are in the registries of A and B. And if you got rid yeah. of that, you'd also get rid of 90% of the inaccuracies and 90% of the shopping list availability for criminals. You could toughen up your security measures, your accuracy on the remainder of the registry if you felt you needed to well, have Well, here's one. the thing. Once they disprove the value of an AB registry, they might then turn around and go, well, hang on a minute. Maybe H needs to go and C needs to go because, let's face it, 20-odd years ago, there was no registry for those things apart from H, but there was no value in that. And out of all the people, all, all my friends that are into you know, the big end of town in uh, chasing really bad guys in the police force up here, um, they all say it's never helped solve a crime. And I, I, I'm anecdotally, I don't have any evidence of it ever, you know, helping solve a crime. So, really, one day I think they're just going to have to wake up and say, "This is not good bang for buck in policing. It's we're wasting resources, focusing on the wrong things." And um, you know, if they start with getting rid of A and B, we should then push for once you've proven that's not really worked, let's scrap the others as well. It's the biggest single cost in firearms management um, in Australia. And that's why we would target it because we believe that money could be better spent on crime prevention than it is on mediocre bookkeeping. Exactly. How did you guys go? We've got a very interesting question coming up. David knows probably where I'm going with this one. You did the Q&A on Facebook. It was absolutely fantastic. You got a lot of questions. Are you going to do more? How do you think it went? Quickest hour of my life. <laughs> We've been talking for almost 35 minutes now. You wouldn't think so, would no, you? No, no. We, we actually had a ball. I mean, Graham, Graham's got this depth of knowledge that I'll never have. And um, just sitting there working with him uh, was, was actually it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of good questions. And what was most important to me is we got good feedback, Okay. Sure, we answered questions, and a lot of it was probably explaining to people why we have the, um, the, the situation and the, and the things we're not happy about, but it certainly gave us several good topics that, you know, okay, we do need to keep following down certain uh, uh, agendas, as it were, um, for the sake of the entire community. Are we going to do more? I think so, uh, Graham, I think we've got a few things yes, in mind. We're for the hopefully we're looking at potentially a once a month uh, Facebook Live forum. Maybe David's saying twice a month over there. No, 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 that's every two months. Every two months, <laughs> um, it's um, a lot of work. <laughs> but it, it is a lot of work. But with having different guests, it won't be David and I. You've seen the David and I show, uh, but on there. But it'll be one of us 
interviewing someone and we've got half a dozen people, you know, we might even get someone like yourself in. Oh, no, don't get me on, whatever you do. He's got got a face for radio, remember? (laughs) And interview different people about subjects and let people ask them questions. We would happily, we were talking about this, we would happily invite a politician along uh, who might want to go on there. I can think most wouldn't, but I can actually think, certainly in Queensland, of a couple like Robbie Catter from Catter's party, he would happily come along or Shane and they'll open and honestly pretty much answer questions for you. I can think of a couple of guys in the LNP that might come along. There's probably a Labor politician that might come along. Now, they might not like some of the questions, but if they're willing to come on there and answer questions, good on them. You know, even if people disagree with some of the things, I I think it says a lot about someone that they just take the questions. Uh, I was a bit worried about some of the questions that had come in myself, but it might be one of mine. (laughs) (laughs) It was. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a question here. I've been, I know you probably might disagree with me because you did on my question. Now, Graham probably doesn't know which question was mine. I've been very, very strong, and we talk about. Uh, rights versus privileges in this country. Now, I've got a bit of a different opinion than you. Um, I, I just want to make sure, because my, my, I know my, my listeners will absolutely hammer on this if I don't ask the question. I'm not sure um, it was different, was it? I thought, I'm not sure. Yeah, let's go for it okay, again, Let's though. go for it. So we, we say a, a right versus a privilege in this country. Is it a right to own a firearm or is it a privilege? So if I got it right, you guys said it was a privilege. I totally disagree no, no. with that. We've, we've got the right to put in an application. Right. And they have yeah. the right to deny it. So that's True. not really a right anymore. So we've got a right, but, but they make we, us... They, let me just go through one thing I just want to say. That, right, the meaning. Morally good, justified, or acceptable. A moral or legal entitlement to do something. I'll give you an example. People think uh, when we talk about the United States, I understand as Grable no living in Florida, which we spoke about before the show for a 10-year for period, they have a constitutional right. But also a lot of the states set those laws. So what that means is there's different, obviously, uh, uh, firearms laws in each country. I know they have it set in stone that we cannot take away a person's right to own firearms. But as you guys know, I'm not sure what Florida's like, Graham, but New York City, for an example, seven-round magazines can't own certain firearms in New York. Stamping technology in uh, California, for an example. Which doesn't exist. (laughs) My my point is, if we're talking about the Shooters' Union, you guys do a great job, don't get me wrong in this question, but... Do we need to change our language? Because we don't need other organisations saying the same thing. Um, because, I mean, in my opinion, we have a right to own a firearm. We if do. we are over the age of 18, we don't have a criminal record, uh, we are able to own a firearm. And in New South Wales, quite interestingly, there's been about three or four cases that I've spoken about that have gone through the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal. You guys probably got similar up here. One was the police took away a guy's firearms. They didn't like the look of him because apparently he was associating with um, bikers. Never had a criminal record in his life. The judge, the presiding member of the tribunal, said to the the New South Wales police, you have to give him back his licence. He has a right to this licence. And I think by saying it's a privilege, when we talk about gun rights... We talk about it. We, we don't say privilege. I mean, there was a, I did an interview, and it wasn't an interview, actually. WSAA, um, Jeff Jones, said we, we have a, a right to a privilege. I mean, to me, that's a bit of an oxymoron. You can't have a right to a privilege. So when are we going to change our language to represent that, in fact, it is a right? Because if people actually, uh, for an example, 15 million people, adults tomorrow, want to go for their firearms licence, um, 
you know, they, they, they basically will. Nothing's going to stop them from getting it. We can't, because then the police could just come into your house and say, mate, I'm taking that firearm. You've got no legal recourse if it's a privilege, but we have legal rights in this country. Graham's looking funny right now at me. Well, you know? no, it's, it, look, I, I'm glad you raised it because it's an interesting issue and I don't think it's an issue that, that a lot of people get or understand. I think you've thought about it very deeply, Jason. Absolutely. And that, yep. and that is, as, as I have and David has, and I think most of us that work in the, in the firearms rights uh, side of things. Because I've heard you refer to it as rights. I mean, I, 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 we, we can't go out fighting do, for do our I, rights and so say, hey, I'll, I'll clarify it, you know? and then you can, you can beat me up and argue with me <laughs> no, what, no. what I believe, and that is this. Do we have a moral right to own a firearm? I believe we do. I believe we always have had. However, do we have a legal right currently in Australia to own one? Not really, yeah, but we do. But we we've have got a right to apply for the license. Yeah, but see, in America too, and people, it's not an un, uh, a right, an inalienable right to own a firearm in the states, as you know here. Which okay, there's less red tape. They're able to own firearms that we can't own at the moment. Other than that, which is, in my opinion, we used to have that prior to 1996. Um, you know, in saying that, they've got less red tape. They're able to own certain firearms. If you're a criminal, as you know, Graham, you can't get a firearm in the United States. It's not. It's not. You can't just walk into a shop. It's and actually do it. more severe penalties for criminals owning exactly. firearms and possessing firearms in the US than it is here. Exactly. So, interestingly, we, by saying that, I know they've got a right which says we can't take firearms ownership off you at that level. But as you know, states introduce different laws. As you know, California draconian gun laws in Chicago. I mean, I just want to get people motivated by saying we do have a right because the government, they've lost. They've lost. We, we do. It's just the government regards you, anything you do from breathing on up as a privilege. And they think that everything comes from that. doesn't mean it does, but in effect right now, you're living in an Australia that does treat owning a gun as a privilege, just like having a driver's license, they'll say, is a privilege. But I don't believe I, that is. I think it's an arguable point. I, I really do. Do I refer to firearms rights? Hell yes. Um, do I believe people can and should have a right to own a firearm? Yes. So long under as- the current system, they do. They do. They, they do. They do. The, 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 the single biggest problem I see here is we're actually in violent agreement with you. Yeah. It is a right, and we have the right um, to apply, and we have the right to own, and they must have some good reason to take that office. That but it's really hard that, that to right exercise your right. You I say, was waiting right for you office? to jump in. Are you working with me? <laughs> right. So, but that's the same that as the sense, United States, David. That's exactly. The, it's exactly, that's the exactly same. right. You, don't, you can't just walk into the gun shop. Uh, I want a firearm. You're a felon. They won't give you the firearm. Correct. They won't give it to you. There's no. So, understanding we have rights to have a firearms license. That's effectively what it is. We have a right to apply for and have a firearms licence unless we are then a criminal of some sort, have a DVO, etc., in which case we then lose that right. However, I think Graham's point here is... That's the same as the States too. Exactly. It's exactly the same as the States. In my opinion, it's exactly the same as the States. What Graham's point here is, though, the bureaucrats, and unfortunately the bureaucrats run the place more so than the politicians... They think it's a privilege. So under the current system, the people that we deal with think of it as a privilege. But as the Shooters Union, 
wouldn't we be saying it is a right to motivate people? I mean, I'll oh, actually tell absolutely. you one thing. Yeah. Samantha Lee was on ABC Radio National, and I've got the audio. She said it is a right to own firearms in this country. It's not a privilege. She's anti-gun. That's what she said. Yeah. No, no, we're That's in agreement. That's what she said. I think you'll find we're actually more in agreement yeah. on, on what it what it truly means. Yeah. However, that's not the way we get treated. Yeah, I, I, I don't really want to sit there and you know quote. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. just not the way it's applied. I guess is 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 my point. And unfortunately, look, Australians, not all Australians, but the majority of Australian firearm owners have chosen to agree that it's a privilege by not challenging legal authorities and even though you have like the new south wales yeah. administrative good, tribunal good call, you have yeah. one in queensland you have one in mo- probably every state that even though we have all those there is is almost no one ever takes it to those because when they're told no they give up now some of the reasons times they're told no is perfectly rational why they're told no you know they, oh, of course they've, they've got, got a criminal, criminal record. yeah exactly. criminal or some other such thing um, or a mental problem, or whatever there is, there's good reasons to say no. But however, a lot of people who really their rights have been taken Infringed. away, they've agreed that the government it is a privilege by not challenging them right. in administrative. And I guess my point was that in effect, on a day to day basis, it's being treated as a privilege. However, deep down, you do have that right to apply. You do have all that, and but it's not a right if you don't. If you're not willing to fight for that, it's not a right. So that You've got to get off down. your backside mm. and actually say, oh, I got turned down for no reason, and go get yourself a solicitor or go to that. And if it, if it is the right reason, and a solicitor or someone will soon tell you if it is. Yeah. I work it on like, you know, we're, we're all employed. Um, when we, you know, we have legislated work rights, when we go to, we, we start working, um, we have, you know, you get certain pay, you get superannuation. We don't, we don't refer to them as workers' privileges. We refer to them as uh, our workers' rights because they're legislated in law. And, you know, I mean, people say privilege is, is for a certain minority. I don't think shooters are a certain minority. Like I said, 10 million adults love shooting tomorrow, want to go out and get a license, provided they don't have a criminal record. And people often want to refer to America, but I mean, they don't just allow unvetted access to firearms and if they do as you know that would be illegal well and people picking up firearms from these illegal gun shows if you're prohibited off the streets it's an instant felony and you're supposed to be in a federal what do they call it a a penitentiary or whatever they call it um jail (laughs) no the jail's the state thing all right but um (laughs) yeah the federal thing is apparently not real good i don't want to go there either but um yeah because my thing is the language the Shooters Union is a great organisation. There's no doubt about that. They've done great things, but I think it doesn't help us when we say that sort of language. To, to I mean, as you know, shooters are already fairly apathetic. This is the reason I do this show. You guys do what you do because you love shooting. You want to see it advance, but uh, uh, the apathy of shooters—that's well, a whole different kettle of fish, uh, as, as you know, Grant. That is a, a drama in you know? itself. But I mean, it, 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 we don't need. I'm hoping we don't need another organisation. Because there are plenty out there that are already saying, yeah, we've only got privileges. I just did no, a show that's not about us. last week. That's not yeah, us. It's a privilege. You know, privilege. Well, you know, I, I'm able to get a, a, a car license. Under legislation, I can get a car license, provided I haven't done something wrong and sped at 400 kilometres an hour. I'm able to get that. I mean, I know three cases where people have been, you know, given their firearms license. And the, and the, the, the uh, 
NCAP member said, no, you've got a right to a licence. You know, there's no doubt about it. Under the current system, could they take our you know, uh, gun rights office tomorrow and ban all gun ownership? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm saying under the current system, I feel it's a right. And I'm trying, I, w- I want, you know, uh, hopefully you guys to mo- motivate shooters and get them, get them off their butts to say, hey, we're going to start advocating for I guess we get rights. very frustrated with the apathy sometimes of firearm owners. Yep. And that they could stand up more because it is a large political force you've got a million licensed shooters let's say that they've all got at least one family member or close friend who agrees with them and maybe even goes to the range with them but hasn't got a license yet or something that's a couple of million people could vote in an election and change things or that's a couple million people that when they feel like things are done wrong could take it to an administrative tribunal or, or other things if they so chose but they don't and by doing that they are effectively Making sure it is a privilege. Well, they're condoning it. You know? Yeah, because you're going into you're you're agreeing with with bureaucrats that tell you that, and, and I guess my comments on it tend to be along the lines of, well, that's what people have turned it into. But sh- should it be, and is it a right? If you rights are only there if you fight for them. They're not there. No, you're right. You're right. Now, yeah. And I mean legally, I'm talking about going through the steps because there are appeal steps there in every state, and. If, if, if it's the wrong thing's been done, and you've seen it in, in cases as, as I have, um, and sometimes perfectly innocently there's mistakes making, and that's why there is appeal mechanisms. But those, those appeal mechanisms aren't any good if you don't take advantage of them and work with them. Yeah, because if the government, obviously, you guys obviously own firearms. If the government, if it, if it was a privilege, the government would then, or the police would come over, Graham. Hand me those five, ten firearms. You're like, well, hang on, what's going on? No, thank you. You'd have no legal recourse. You would have no legal recourse if it was a privilege. So, and again, like I said, we've seen a lot of different cases. I've seen people lose their firearms. I get emails probably every month or so from someone saying, I've interviewed a few lawyers saying, hey, you know, do you have that guy's details? Something's happened. Um, You know, sometimes, you know, things have happened. It may have been in the wrong, but, you know, it's a guilty plea. But they've got their firearms license back as well. I know some people... It's a bit more serious and they're fighting it, you know. So just had a thought here. You talk about police coming in and removing firearms. A lot of people talk about the United States and they defend their gun rights and what have you. Um, very close to, uh, to home for my friend in America, Tom Gresham, when Cyclone, or sorry, Hurricane Katrina came through and made a big mess, the, uh, the government in, uh, in Louisiana went through and confiscated, illegally confiscated, uh, firearms hell west and crooked, even from people who were removing them from their homes for safe storage off-site. They had them confiscated off them out of their boats, out of their cars, everywhere. So you, you really don't, um, you don't appreciate a right until it's taken off you. And I think those people is a classic case of why even there, just as much as what we're talking here, we need SSAA members, Shooters Union members, you know, the local pistol club members, the Clay Target Association members, the whole lot of them all need to stand up and say, hey, these are rights that we want to fight for and be prepared to put some, you know, put their hand in their pocket and uh, and support the causes that are, that are championing that, um, that battle. And understand this. It mightn't be the clay target folk that are being picked on this year. It might be the pistol people. Or it might be the hunters. 
I mean, hunters are always getting slagged in the media by the, the extremists. Farmers. Here in Queensland, we've got problems with farmers' um, rights to uh, occupational cat H. If everybody sits back apathetically and does nothing, I think the saying goes, all it takes for the forces of evil to rule the world is for enough good men to do nothing. If everybody in the gun community just says, oh, no, they're not picking on me, it's not my problem, guess what will happen? One by one, they'll pick us all off. So I think if you're, if, if you're really looking at what a shooter's union stand for, we're a gun rights advocacy group, yep. and I think that answers your question. Because yep. um, when we normally talk about it, I have heard you guys say, yeah, we, we talk about gun rights, but then when we talk about it in other respects, we say, oh, no, it's a privilege. And I'm like, so obviously you can tell I'm, I'm very, very yeah. passionate no, no, we're with uh, you. About, this, about this issue. And it's not that we've, we've already got other organisations you know, saying it's a privilege. I just don't think we need another one or a shooter's union saying that because – I just because yeah, as you know, it's already people shooters are already apathetic enough. Yep. I mean, telling them beat them down even more, saying yeah, it's a privilege. You know, we can take that. Off. Well, they can't. This is the thing they can't unless they legislate it in law. You see again, you, like I don't want to repeat it again. You see a lot of different states, a lot of different issues. If it was not, if it was an inalienable right to the to the people in the states, you know that the the, the states wouldn't have jurisdiction over those gun laws. So you have you can't you can't do anything in those regard laws. You, you can have any firearm you like, but we know that's not the case. Not mm. the case. Let's make a pledge here and now that we all try, you know, the pledge will be that we all try to make sure we don't slip up with a slip of the tongue because... Especially when I hear Samantha Lee say, <laughs> I can, I'll send you the footage. Well, I agree with her. It, it, exactly. She, she said it was a right to own a firearm who's and not to, a privilege Who's to argue country. with Samantha then? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, was just, Bob, I was trying to make a point with that for a bit of a laugh, but yeah, she actually did say that and even I was shocked. I went, here's what, here's a funny hell? thing about you know, Samantha Lee. That? You want some controversy. Here's some funny, a funny thing about Samantha Lee. I think Gun Control Australia and the shooting community have got a lot more in common than everybody believes. We all want, we all want less criminal activity. Yep. We all want less you know, gun crime and murders. We just don't think they're going about it the right way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but really, they, they do agree with us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you want to see in firearms in the, in the future? Um, anything in particular? And, you know, what, what do you want to see the Shooters Union become? I mean, as I've been a big supporter. I know I speak to Aussie Reviews a, a fair bit. We've done several podcasts, I think two, maybe even three. Um, we did the last one over at his older farm, not his new one. And we get on quite well. I know he's a big supporter of you guys. I've seen the interview that he did with Graham, which was fantastic as well. I mean, what's the plan for well, Shooters Union? Here's some things that we learned out of the uh, live forum the other week. And, you know, a lot of the comments and things really do push for, and I think Graham will correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think it was National Farmers Federation put out a, uh, a policy document. And that is we really should, now that we've, we've got enough time behind us to prove that the semi-autos weren't a problem before and they haven't been... And remember, there's millions of illegal ones out there not causing any trouble. That maybe Cat C could be moved back into what we call Cat A and B now. And I think that's something that we can demonstrate going forward, that that is not a public safety risk. I mean, my argument whenever I have this discussion is there were uh, well over a million semi-auto rifles and shotguns. And out of the 600,000 things that were handed in, 200,000 or so were those. There's still a hell of a lot of them out there somewhere, probably in farmers' back sheds and people's, you know, that, that just didn't want to hand them in. 
They're not causing any problems with crime. They're not, they're not causing anybody any issues. So if you look at the cat seas that all the farmers have got, and the farmers are not security guys and police, they're just regular people, and they're responsibly using them, there's no real argument for all the legal cat seas and all the supposedly buried ones. I've never uncovered one, but I'm sure there's plenty out there. Re- that really does demonstrate that maybe they're not such a big problem afterwards. After all, we should start looking at maybe at least as a, as a beginning, move cat C to B. And that's something that's come through a lot of the Facebook posts. Um, what's your thoughts, Graham? I mean, you know, we haven't I actually... I hear a lot on my page. People want their rights back. They do. Yeah. There, there is a minority of shooters that I, I see on my page. No, don't ask for this. I think it was the... Shooters and Fishers Party put a post up just before the election saying get rid of Category A and B. Firearms is a genuine reason for self-defence in the home. Uh, some people talk to me sometimes and say, oh, you know, you talk about concealed carry. I've probably spoken at about, on about four shows out of about 127 that I've done. Um, I just in, released a uh, podcast today, actually, with uh, Don Brooke. He was a guy in Sydney. Know the case quite well. Stabbed an intruder in his home. Killed him. Uh, had to wait three years before he realised uh, he was going to be charged or not. The police were recommending no charges. Uh, and the DPP kept pushing it. Push, push, push. Two and a, about two and a bit years after the incident uh, by a career criminal. Um, to try to you know, use a taser on him, he was robbing his home, he came in, they came to you know, blows in the, in, in the house, in the lounge room, he stabbed him in the bicep and the chest, the guy walked out like, like nothing had happened, subsequently died a few hours later, um, and you know, uh, you know, it's, it's just, That's this just is what disgrace. we're dealing with, what yeah. about self-defence, I mean are you guys uh, big supporters and that, I mean, I know, and this is an interesting one, I think this might have come out of Queensland. And I know there's been a push from, I think it was one organisation, I don't know who it was, I don't want to say it, that, you know, police should be able to take their service-issued firearms home. Was it, oh, sorry, that was... It was, so, it was us. So, but we I, actually did release media releases today uh, calling for that. We're, we are in full support of the Queensland Police Union uh, calling for uh, trained police officers to be able to uh, take their firearms home and carry them off duty. We believe that in... A, in the day and age we live in, unfortunately, with these so-called lone wolf terrorists and other type things, that having thousands of more trained uh, police officers available armed could well prevent a tragedy uh, in, in coming times. Also, some police are being targeted by, by criminal uh, gangs and, and others, and they have the rights to defend themselves. And, and on going further, every person, the most basic human rights you have, is the right of self-defense. You might be denied the right to get a gun license for that purpose currently. We believe that should be remedied, that self-protection is a reason to own a firearm. However, we're not talking about people ever carrying them or anything else, but we believe if someone believes they should, that's what they want one for, that's a legitimate use. Um, but what's the, what's the... Is Ian Levers still the... Yes, Ian, Ian Levers yeah. is, is still... So does he support my right to defend myself in my home yeah. if, he, if the police are going to take firearms home? I haven't asked him that question, <laughs> um, but, but it, he but certainly it would be a natural extension of it. Question. As part yeah. of his job, he certainly pre- represents the police officers well in, in defending their position. I honestly haven't uh, asked him on the other. However, we have worked on panels with him, and he seems a perfectly reasonable uh, guy. I mean, when it comes down to it, Everyone knows that everyone's got a basic human right to protect themselves and their family. 
it's with the methodology that people have have issues, and I think that's that's a whole nother. You can spend a, you can spend an hour on that subject, you know, itself. But you know, I go back to, to David talking about different types of firearms and everything else. I think that's that's a common request or, or thing we see, and and I think twenty years of history does. David's correct, but if you look what. Uh, Everyone talks about, not everyone, but the mass, mainstream media keeps raising what a success the NFA, the National Firearms Agreement, has been. I, 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 I argue that that's poppycock. It's not true. Uh, evidence would suggest that it has not had the effects that, the, that are trumpeted by its supporters. Naturally, politicians that pass these things want to justify them later, and especially retired senior politicians in, the, in their dotage <laughs> you know, want to want to show that they did the right thing. That, we're all like that. We all want to go down in history as doing something good. That's that's human nature. But the reality is that a lot of what the NFA accomplished was was nothing but discrimination and harassment of the Australian public by millions of the Australian public. Now, what it did achieve, and I've, I think it's fair to say, in its positive. Some of the improved background checks on licensing and safety training um, deserve praise and should be supported and in some cases even probably improved uh, as we've moved forward uh, with the information age. And there's ways to do that. However, what it did do is it created the one of the world's largest underground um, s- Industries, uh, industries, but yeah. under underground c- caches of illegal, quote, of illegal the, arms. Was it the? Uh, I've gone totally blank here. This doesn't normally happen. Sometimes it does. The inquiring into banning of semi-automatic handguns down in Canberra. Did yes. you take part in that? You yes. did, didn't you? Yes, I spoke yeah, that was that and, yeah, and presented at that. Yeah. And the, the, what happened is when they banned all these guns, there was a, a large amount of civil disobedience especially in the eastern states um, where there was no registration previously, Tasmania, New South Wales and Queensland, which between those three states was a big percentage of the the firearms, long arms owned in Australia. There was a lot of civil disobedience. It is estimated, the best estimates are, that somewhere between 600,000 and 4 million firearms were vanished, went into what they call the grey market at that point. And that was in the Senate inquiry. We were talking about all those numbers and they come from various sources. The bottom line is no one knows. Um, you know, I forget that US Vice President said there were known unknowns and unknown unknowns. Well, it's kind of <laughs> like an unknown unknown. But it's it's pretty accepted that it's probably somewhere one and a half, two and a half, three million. That's a massive storage of firearms out there now, if you started moving to what David's suggesting of bringing back the common day-to-day 22, you know, your semi-auto P-rifle, you know, the old Ruger 1022s and yep. stuff like yep. that. They were great and, little guns. And legitimizing them for sporting use again, as they are all over the world, even in countries with laws as strict or stricter than ours, uh, and the same with, with sporting shotguns with, you know, uh, semi-automatic or pump capacity, if you brought those back into mainstream, you would actually see very quickly a lot of those, quote, grey market ones would come back in and be then part of the legally owned flock of firearms again 
and not be a potential uh, gold mine for criminals. Yeah. And so that would have a public safety aspect on its own. Yeah, because they'd be not stashed in the back of shit. You know, there'd be all these people coming out going, oh, look what I found in Grandpa's shed. I Can I license this to me? They made these people into criminals. I exactly. Mean, these firearms yeah. you know, that they might be sitting in Pop's roof or, you know, Grandma's roof somewhere. I mean, people say, you know, if they're caught with a firearm unlicensed, I mean, these people were never going to do anything with these firearms anyway. Obviously, the criminal usage. I mean, just over the last few years, there's been a, quite an increase uh, of illegal firearms that continue, and it, it continues to increase. A lot of these firearms, you even look on the uh, police. Two, New two South days Wales. ago, the Australian Federal Police had a major raid um, in that, Melbourne that caught yeah. guys bringing in parts for dozens and dozens of uh, handguns and uh, assault rifles. Now, on the other end of that chain in, in the US, they were caught with, I think, hundreds. Now, this is another example, just like the Glocks in the Sydney Post Office where hundreds of, right, yeah. of illegal Glock handguns were done. There is a commercial industry, just like the drug industry, of importing this stuff. And it's astonishing how some people who are anti-gun out there just go, oh, all the illegal guns come from stolen from legitimate yeah, owners. Rubbish, it's rubbish. garbage. Yeah, it what is. about the jeweller in Sydney that's uh, been charged? You know what? He lives about five minutes from my house <laughs> in <laughs> Seven Hills. One of your drinking buddies, <laughs> is he, Jason? Yeah. No, I don't so, know him. But. So the, the, the police have interviewed him, or, or, or someone's asked a question in court, perhaps, of how many had he produced? And he says, oh, 100 or so? Yeah. You know, and they've got two? Exactly. And apparently they were quite good. There was a guy in apparently. South Australia, too. I think there was an old article. He was making... You know, these semi-auto, like MP5 lookalikes, and they look fantastic. I mean, very well made. He took a lot of pride in his work, that's for sure. So but the NFA has done what for us that was... Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think it's we're in violent agreement again. Instead of bringing yeah. legitimate people under, the, uh, under the tent of <laughs> under the tent of legitimate firearms ownership, where we as legitimate firearm owners should be working with police with the Great, yeah. government to keep guns out of the hands of criminals and and the way to do that is have a consultative and cooperative approach licensed firearm owners are the most heavily scrutinized people in australia they have the lowest crime rates we are less likely to commit any crime from drink driving to speeding to anything they're the least likely they're the safest citizens uh, out there and yet they're treated as if they're a potential criminal. Give me a break. What potential criminal? I'm going to rob a bank, so I'm going to go spend six months to get a gun license. I mean, hello. But having these laws, like with drugs, and you guys agree, you know, I think, I think you would agree that we've created a massive and lucrative black market in firearms. Totally, utterly, and completely. We've, we've created an absolute... In fact, when it happened in 96, the Prime Minister of New Guinea made an official complaint to John Howard about six months, nine months afterwards about their buyback had caused a massive flow in military-style semi-automatic rifles ending up in the hands of New Guineans because what the drug smugglers realised, they were worth a lot of money, so they were exactly. buying them and then sending, swapping them for marijuana in, in New Guinea. I mean, you just create a, an absolute a mess. How about everyone works, people of good faith work together and, and the community comes together instead of antagonizing each other where you don't get, you get forced compliance as opposed to 
let's all work together to make sure something bad doesn't happen again. I agree. I think um, it's interesting. I was when I was in I was in Texas in San Antonio. I was talking to a police officer on his bike, having a great conversation. And there seems to be a lot. I don't know if it's just me, perhaps I'm wrong. There's a lot more respect, I found, especially in, in some parts of the United States, obviously not, depending on culture, background, etc. But there seems to be a lot more respect for police. I mean, there seems to be a very, very big divide between gun owners and the police. And I agree, we should be working together. We should be looking at avenues to say we need to get firearms off the street. I know there's some police that are very pro-gun. And, you know, they've got to do what they've got to do. We, we, Other ones, like, hate guns. They'll say, no, p- people should not have guns at all. We have hundreds of police officers who are shooters union members. Yeah. We probably and got we more. Su- we support, more, and maybe more than that, right? Mm. We don't know. But I know at least hundreds that, that are active serving police officers. And they enjoy using firearms for hunting and, and other things just like anyone else. And they support firearm rights. However... The powers that be at a political level in policing have pushed this agenda that um, firearms ownership is bad, it's the next best thing to being a criminal, etc., and you should harass people and everything else. And I believe that has created a disrespect for police in certain circles. Yeah, that's, that's really sad because we should be working together. I mean, I live in, and work mostly in a rural environment, and I can tell you that in rural areas, crime is increasing. Cattle prices are high. There's a lot of theft on properties right. of, of, of both cattle, tools, vehicles, firearms. That's all increasing. And what we need to do is work closely with police to prevent that. The police can't stop crime without the community. And we need to work together. And, and the former police minister in Queensland, I was on a committee with him and he made the comment that in his 30 years as a police officer in Bundaberg he was a senior sergeant there before he went into politics he said the one group of people we never had to worry about in Bundaberg with crimes was the people that had gun licenses he said they were all the people with jobs and businesses and everything else he said it was the ones without the gun licenses we had problems with that's a that's a very good point. If you're a police officer, and uh, you know, pro- I think actually that one of the most coveted jobs in policing would have to be in a weapons licensing branch in any state of Australia. Because look at your clientele. I mean, like, let's face it: you're on the beat, or you're uh, you, yeah. you, you chase you, you, with you, You're not dealing sometimes. with crims; you're dealing with <laughs> non-crims. You, 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 people phone up and uh, 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 Good afternoon, Jason. My name's David Brown, and I'd like to talk to you about my PTA. Um, do you think we could organise? It's all very cordial and polite, and and mm. and, I, and you're not worried about me spitting on you or kicking no, you exactly. in the. Not a lot of yeah. obscenities. Because I've thought no. about this before when I've gone out. I've gotten out of the car. I remember Woolworths one time. This guy sped right around me. He almost took out a woman with a pram. I literally blocked. Mate, what are you doing, you idiot? You know what I mean. He gets out of the car. He starts charging over to me, and I'm thinking oh, I'm a pretty big guy. He was only a lot smaller than me. Then when I said I was pointing at him, I said no. And he f- literally froze, and I just said, I'm going in here, piss off. You know what I mean? And, then, and that was, he turned around and walked, he, he walked away, literally walked away. And I thought to myself, I know, I said to friends, listen, and I don't have you know, friends that do anything wrong. I've got very good friends, they're very sensible guys. But I said, listen, don't get any issues because unless you're getting killed, unfortunately, I can't come to you. I've, I've got a gun license. This is my life. This show is my life. Don't get into it. They don't anyway, but don't get me any any issues. I mean, I'm too old. I'm 35 now. I don't go to the pubs and clubs anymore. Too Young old pub. for that. But, you know, if we go out for a drink, I said, guys, don't do anything stupid. Not that they do anyway, but they just know that, you know. Like, so we the, have to be 
we're the we're most hyper legal. We we yeah. don't do this. We don't do that. I don't want to we say make... we're elite because I don't want to sound like we're better than anyone no, else. No, no, but, it's not that. But, but we are we are hyper vigilant because we enjoy. Uh, be it a sport, and we don't or, want to lose the right. We don't want to lose <laughs> no. the right. Uh, one, one could argue that if it was a right, we couldn't lose it. But uh, that we don't want to lose. We don't want to lose our firearms license or our right to own firearms by That's doing it. something similar, si- silly. And so we're actually very careful. We're less likely to drive with too much alcohol in the system. We're less likely to start a blue, like in a parking lot or something exactly, like that. Yeah. We'll actually back off. From things like that, we're less likely to cause other issues. You know, even a domestic dispute that gets out of hand has dire consequences. So we're less likely it tones all that down, which creates, just as the former police minister said, the most law-abiding segment of the community. Yeah, mm. There's actually data somewhere in the USA, and, okay, this is concealed carry in the USA, but... but that's just firearm licensing. That's, yeah, the the... Concealed carry population over there commits crimes, uh, and particularly with firearms involved, uh, at something like 25% less than the police. And that gives you a good idea of when, when someone has um, a, a level of responsibility, they generally step up. And I think what you'll find is there's nothing elitist about it. It's the fact that amongst the responsible people in the population... We will be more vigilant. But the police should be seeing that, shouldn't they? They should be saying these guys exactly. Are some of the I best think a lot. In, you know, I think respect. a lot of the police do see it. I think the operational police, on a day-to-day basis, yeah. out there in your town, they do see it, and they don't have a problem with it. Mm. I think there's a minority, and I actually think most of those are at a politically driven level because they think it might be good for their career. I mean, look, David is a, is, a, is a fully qualified pilot. I tell you, he is more hypervigilant about safety, be it car, air, whatever, than you and I probably are. And, and I think that just comes with some of that training or yeah. background things, just as firearm, I legitimate just get concerned about, you know, like I'm, I'm not, a, uh, well, I guess I'm not 100% opposed to police coming to my house. I was in the army years ago, a police officer came to my house and very, very nice guy. But when he came in, we had a chat. He saw my army photo on the wall, and he goes, "Oh, you're in the army." And I said, "Yeah." His demeanour totally changed uh, to a lot more friendlier. I had a chat about that, and I mean, he was just. This is what concerns me about. And I'm not that I've got police, but I don't know who the police are. They're human. I don't know what they're saying down at the local pub to their friends after the, you know, after you know whatever it may be after a football game. They get a bit drunk, whatever it may be. Maybe they're not. But he was freely offering me. Oh, you would have loved the guy I just went to. And I said, "Oh, why is that?" And he goes, "Oh, he had a fantastic collection." Then he went on and proceeded to tell me about another guy earlier in the week where he, he checked the rifles. Everything was fantastic, kosher. Said to the guy, yep, uh, mate, just, oh, where's, just, where's that Glock pistol? Oh, yeah, it's upstairs, mate. Just come up and have a look. He's thinking, he told me, because I thought, oh, gun safe upstairs, yeah, reasonable. So was any sock drawer? He goes, mate, I've got to seize these firearms. And the guy was like, oh, why? And he goes, well, it's supposed to be in, the, in yeah, your specified safe. You know, and that's what I'm saying. I don't know these people. I don't know. I know not all police are bad. Some, a lot of them are fantastic, absolutely great people. But I just don't. I don't want someone in my house. I don't know. Well, we're you know? certainly. We've always been opposed to, um, in uh, you know, random inspection or inspections of story. We believe that for safe storage, it should be inspected at the time you get a license by agreement that that you've got the safe. Everything else, you've then signed that you understand the conditions that 
you know, the guns have to be kept safe. Other than that, unless there's a reason for them to get a search warrant for some other reason, they shouldn't be coming into your house. Now, do they? Yes, and under current legislation, uh, depending on the state, they, they can. Um, but I don't think it's necessary. I think it'd be far better off being done at the initial time of license. They che- check or have a certified locksmith check. They're certainly qualified to check that the facility's there and sign off on it or even a, a gun license. Then it becomes like shop. a user-pay system that we see the massive issues they're having in WA with, you know, the, just to obtain a firearm, look at 250 or $300 before they even start. You know, we don't, want, I don't know about any more onus, you know, regulation. No. You know. Well, actually, I actually even want to take that a step further. Personally, this is not Shooters Union speak, this is David Brown speak. The minute, whether they're police, whether they're the locksmith or whoever, they then know how many safes, where they are. How to get into them. that data goes somewhere, and we believe that that sort of data is collected. Now, if other data slips out, does that mean that, um, you know... In your basement, there's a safe and it's now noted somewhere. So some criminals get a hold of that information. They know exactly where in the basement or the, or your garage or your back shed or wherever. Um, they just go straight to the source. Hmm. So I actually think less data, you know, the law, the law says we shall not speed, we shall not drink, drive, what have you. You get caught, you, you cop a penalty. The law says you should have safe storage. So you go and do it. We're law-abiding people. We don't need checking up on. I actually think, really, to be perfectly honest, that is a gross waste of police time. And I'm sure if you ask all the local police at the local station when they get the weapons licensing instructions to go and check on Jason's um, safe storage, they're thinking, I should be chasing the kitty fiddler or the rapist or the drug dealer, not Mr. Selms and his safe storage. They all privately... In the local police stations, think that they they hate yeah. going out and doing audits or it's a gross waste or of inspections. Time. Yeah. They see it as an absolute waste of time, and I totally agree with David. And and you know, I'm thinking about, and this is our personal view at the moment, not a shooters union official policy. We don't have particularly <laughs> yeah. we, one uh, on that, except we'd like less red tape on that issue. We don't believe the official policy is we don't want to see the inspections. Uh, I think. David's right. I think when you sign up for the license, you're signing effectively a stat deck that you understand the safety requirements and the storage requirements. Therefore, it's kind of up to you. It's kind of like the seatbelt in the car. You know, uh, when you sign up for the driver's license, you know, it says you're going to wear it or you're going to cop some difficulty. Well, I'll liken it to aviation, if you like. I mean, CASA issue you with a license and... Uh, you probably sat down at the terminal and you'll see the pilot, the captain or the first officer will do a walk around and uh, the engineers down on the ground, they'll do their inspections. Someone signs off on the maintenance release at the beginning of the day. CASA, come along and audit, check your maintenance releases later on, sure. But there's not someone, you know, tapping you on the shoulder making sure you do it. So... You know, there's a level the of trust there. The whole inspection thing is an incredible waste of there's money. There's a level of trust there that you're doing things according to the law. Some people say too, you know, like, oh, well, you know, in essence, self-defense wouldn't work because of the laws in regards to safe storage. But I always say there's, there's plenty of options they use in other countries, fingerprint safes, et cetera. You can be straight into them within, you know, well, here's in excess the, of three to four seconds. Like, yeah. Here's the thing no, with self-defense. You know, if you pick up a baseball bat in the terms of self-defense because that's you're a baseball player and it happens to be in the bottom of your cupboard, that's 
fair and reasonable. If you're storing a baseball bat and you're not a baseball player, oh, we've got a problem with it. Um, you know, you're allowed to use anything from your mobile phone to a big pen to whatever. You can use whatever means at your disposal. If you can get into your firearms quick enough, you're entitled to use them. However, who can get into their safe at 2am in the morning when there's already a big burly bloke with a knife at your throat and your wife's throat saying, hey, open the safe, we want your guns. And we know people... Because we know where they are from the registry. (laughs) Possibly so. And look, we know that's how it happens, so... I always have a guy that always emails me about safe storage and he, he totally disagrees with me. One of my... Very popular listeners, he goes, I think it should be education instead of regulation. He understands that children. Absolutely. That children, you know, it would make sense. Like for me, mine's not that, yeah, I just don't have kids, but you know, that somehow they're going to go walking around it doesn't bother me. My one's really so people don't steal them. I've got, you know, ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 worth of firearms. For me, it just makes me feel better having them safe so I know they're not going to be stolen. If someone gets in, they're going to have to work hard for it. But I thought, you know, sometimes it's hard to fault what he says. I'm like, I agree, but I think with children in the home, there are other options where they're not readily accessible, you know, for children. But I've got a few questions for you. Only a couple here. People got a bit slack today because I've only put it up today. Uh, the, the Sydney Militia, I know this is Sean. Sean says, how do we get rid of the, or what do you think about the resembles a military firearm clause? How do we get it repealed? I'm not sure if it's actually a thing here in, in, in Queensland. We know it is in New South Wales, definitely. They were trying it on in Tasmania. What's your thoughts? We, we uh, cooperated with our members in Tasmania to put submissions in on the recent Tasmanian one. Uh, bluntly put, I think the short version is we think it's really dumb. It's got nothing to do with function. And it, it's right up there with um, John Cleese doing the silly walk for Monty Python. You know, that's about how much relevance it needs. You know, to give me a break. So we stick something on it and suddenly it's more dangerous? Uh, hello? And, and some Barrel guy shreds. who's not even familiar with firearms suddenly says, well, that resembles this. I can tell you that in West Australia, they have been disallowing uh, PTAs for single-shot break-action air rifles that resemble, according to them, a machine gun. Now, I don't know what on what planet you think it resembles it, but who cares even if it did, it's based on function. It should be about safety and function, not... I, I mean, I, I find it's just past ridiculous. It, it, if it wasn't serious, it would be hilarious. Mm. Very good. Anything to add to that one, Dave? No, Great no but I'd like, to see, uh, I'd like to see the look on a few elite athletes' faces when their adjustable stock, pistol-gripped, um, uh, highly expensive unschutzes have to be handed in. I think that'll get... <laughs> I know a guy, he just loves... I don't know what it is. It's not my thing. I love... You know, I do like my polymer rifles. My, you know, I've got a Tika, T3 Light. Uh, but I got no loves that military, like tactical style stuff. He loves it. Tactical, you know, tactical. Sorry, but he loves it, and he just goes, "Man, I just love the look of. It. I love, you know." And he even says, "As people look at it, they go, oh my god, what's this? Like just like a Remington seventy six fifteen. No difference." Uh, another question here. Um, this was uh, from Colin, but it's a. a from Firearms Owners United, those guys down there, I think, in um, Victoria. We've heard that the owners of the 338 Lapua, that Queensland Weapons Licensing, have contacted them, stating their reasons for owning that rifle have expired and asking them for a new reason. We know, I mean, New South Wales, a lot of the ranges, I'm not even sure of any at this stage, that actually allow the 338 to be shot. You've got to do it on private land. Any thoughts on that one? Under, under Queensland legislation, whenever your licence uh, comes up for a renewal, you've got to restate the reason 
you have it. And if someone, let's say, had their reason was shooting on a specific rural property and that rural property had been sold, they would then have to restate another reason. I haven't heard of it happening specifically, but I have known it's that the, the, they do take a generally dim view of 338 Lapua, and so they will look at those a bit harder. They do approve them for certain reasons, but as you say, a lot of the ranges aren't approved for them, and so it tends to be that they're looking at them a little, lot closer. Do I agree with that? No, but is it happening? Yes, unfortunately, and I think Firearms United is, is great that they raise stuff like that. Uh, I know there was another issue. This was James. He said there was one about, I'm pretty sure, they were trying to really lock down in Queensland the use of pistols by farmers on their own property. Now, where are we at with that? I'm, I know there's a little bit, I've heard a little bit about it. There, especially Bill Burns saying some very weird things about, you know, cowboy styles, etc. I've got a couple of things here that just bridge both of those two questions. And one of these topics is when weapons licensing want you to justify your, uh, your reason for having it, make sure you answer it well. And that is just because you've had it on so-and-so's property for the last five years or ten years, make sure you go into a little bit of detail and justify it again because they're going to expect you to jump through the hoops. As silly as we think it is, make sure you answer it well. And weapons licensing are using the the reapplication or the renewal was not well written. They didn't, you know, if, if we measure that against the things we measure against the application doesn't measure up. So there, we're pretty sure there's an agenda in there to try and get rid of as many as possible, and we're fighting that on the political front. I think Graham will have some comments about that in a minute, I'm sure. But I tell you, if, <laughs> when you're putting an application in, make sure you really do understand everything that they're measuring your application against, and then answer all those questions, provide all the material, because... Say if you're a farmer, you're used to hat on, you know, pick up your water bottle, pull your RMs on, revolver goes in I its can't holster. The RMs. <laughs> <laughs> revolver goes revolver goes in the holster. It's just another piece of clothing, it's just another tool to them. So when it comes up, they've had this thing for thirty years. What's you know, what's your reason reason? Well, euthanizing stock, of course. Well, hang on. Weapons licensing want a whole heap more information. They want Google map images. They want to know distances from other properties. They want to know why, what is it about your operation? You know, you do a lot of cattle work in yards, whatever. You've really got to give them, you've you've actually got to give them no reason to reject you. Mm. And, you know, we think that there's something a little bit, yeah, what's the word, Graham? There's an agenda, there's been a push, and... You know, I think if, if you can give them absolutely no reason to reject you, they're going to have a hard time rejecting you. Should they be picking on the farmers? Well, has there been a demonstrated problem? No. 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 Now, Graham's consulted with people like AgForce, etc. There's been no demonstrated issue with the farming community and their Cat H um, on their primary produ- producer's licence. So why is it the police, uh, the weapons licensing are are making an issue out of a non-event. Um, the best thing that the individuals can do is 
go back and make sure that they can't refuse you. And if you don't understand, ask for help. Um, That's my only issue with the, you know, the police minister. And we're talking about arming police and then treat our farmers with disdain, but yet want you know, police officers to um, you know, carry guns home, which is fine. I agree with that. But I know a lot of shooters who say, well, you know, if I don't have the same privilege, no, I don't think they should take their firearms Privilege home. or right, would that be? I'm saying it too. You got me. <laughs> you got me in the moment, How, see? However, the police minister does not want police to take them home. Oh, so, really? No, no. no. He's, he's well, very opposed to it as well. Hence the so, reason we're, we're hence actually the reason supporting we're supportive it. Uh, it's it's rank and file police and the police union that, that uh, are looking for that, and I think correctly. However, here's the situation on uh, occupational use by primary producers and pest controllers of Category H firearms in Queensland. The legislation has not changed. The regulations on paper have not changed. However, within weapons licensing, there has been a change of internal policy um, of how stringently they look at them and they're effectively denying most applications that come in for that and denying most renewals. However, David's very clearly said the best way to work, try and work through that with them. Shooters Union is is partly trying to educate people on that so they put in a better quality of application, not telling them what to write but just getting them to think about it deeply and try and work with the police on it. However... On the other side, we are working very strongly politically with all the agricultural bodies, professional bodies in the state uh, to make sure that this right that primary producers have to the tools they use in their occupation is not uh, unduly restricted, which we believe is, is happening a little bit at the moment. And we're working very closely with uh, all the political parties uh, on that, we're not getting a lot of joy from the current police minister on it. However, uh, from the other couple of political parties in this state, they're all in violent agreement that this is a non-issue, that there is no issue with primary producers misusing this. They've been using them safely, uh, continue to use them safely, and they're a valuable tool, and tests have shown uh, they're highly effective at, at close range for euthanizing uh animals, uh, livestock that are injured. In certain circumstances, they're far safer than long arm. Uh, I can think of, you know, if, you, if you're in, in uh, if you've worked in cattle yards, if you get in a cattle crush, it can be very difficult sometimes to get something that long in that's close when the animal is, is moving very, very quickly uh, or in a, in a stock crate in a truck. Um, there's also uh, not for primary pest control but for f- either follow-up at close range on injured feral animals or perhaps feral animals in a trap. There are numerous situations and depending on the terrain on certain properties, it's simply impractical and I would argue unsafe from a workplace safe and healthy health, health reasons to be carrying a long arm um, over your shoulder or in some other manner where it can be snagged on trees or you, you need both hands uh, because of the terrain uh, to to work at. So there, there's there's good reasons for that. And so long as the primary producers or pest controllers have good background checks and they're well-trained, why shouldn't they be able to use uh, the correct tool for their occupation? I mean, here's the thing. They can easily apply for a Cat-C rifle and shotgun, semi-auto rifle and shotgun. Admittedly, it's only a little rimfire. So a semi-auto... 45, 9 mil, pick a calibre, who really cares? Even if it's uh, 22, it might be a little 22 revolver. I know pest controllers use Very those. Very common on farms. Yeah. 
what's the big deal? Where is the public safety issue here? There is none. There never has been. So why are we picking on farmers? Uh, it just beggars They're belief. Just people trying to do a job, and let's let them get on get on with the job because in in and, and being in farming myself, we've got a a. a, a responsibility for animal welfare and animal safety and we're charged with looking after that on a daily basis and we've got to have the tools available to do that as effectively as we can do it Hmm. and surely to goodness we're the best judges of that we've we use things that are far more dangerous than firearms on a daily basis around farms every day across this country and uh, we need to be able to control feral animals, we need to be able to manage animal welfare, and we need to be able to do that in a manner without having our, one of our hands tied behind our back. Actually, here's a point. I think all the other states in Australia are a little bit um, lacking. In fact, I would actually think they're a little Backwards. bit dangerous. Backward? Backward, yeah. No, <laughs> I'm not sure. There might be some states the Northern where you Northern Territory can do it. and West Australia have, have not dissimilar yeah. uh, situation on... on primary producers but the rest but the other eastern states haven't and that's being used by some as an argument here but the reality is our legislation hasn't changed and it's got to be the parliament to change that there's no will in the parliament to change that legislation therefore it it should Mm. be left how it is and if if we were to do everything that that new south wales was to do we would be issuing suppressors or sound moderators to pest controllers which our act allows but are never issued so um, I have heard on the grapevine that they did. It was always on the form. I know this, but what, so it never wasn't on the form about having a suppressor under category A uh, and B for B firearms. Now people say, "Oh, we got it on the form." Yeah, I understand that, but I mean they weren't issuing them. So I know there's a lot of applications sitting there for these suppressors, and I have heard someone got one, but I don't. I haven't seen any uh, evidence. I said, "Well, provide me the evidence. I'm happy to speak to them." Uh, and just have a bit of a chat with them, obviously, off the air to see. But you know, at this stage, no one seems to have been uh, given a suppressor. Well, that's another OH&S issue, isn't it? I mean, if, if you're in the UK and you're out hunting... A lot of Euro countries mandatory. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it's very ungentlemanly not to use And then one. they complained to us about range noise. Wouldn't that it just fi- totally... It fixes that. In New Zealand, our closest neighbour... Um, Whenever I'm travelling over there, it's not uncommon to see signs on farms saying that, you know, you can't hunt on there without, without a one. sound moderator because they don't want the noise. And uh, there, there is certainly legitimate use in pest control and, and primary production. Uh, what about for the average, uh, you know? Well, I don't have a problem with it for anyone because... Yeah. In, in the that- United Kingdom and New Zealand, uh, all the Scandinavian countries, most of the West European countries, there's no permits, there's no anything for suppressors. They're just treated like a, a, a part. They're a muffler you just on your buy. car. They're like a muffler. There's no restriction because you've got to have the license for the gun. Is that something that's achievable in the short term or long term, do you think? Is there an appetite it's, for it? It's not achievable in, in, in the short term being the next six to 12 months here i don't think but long term yes i think it is because people will start to look at the facts and as the country gets more urbanized i think it does start to get clearer we're not talking suppressors are far more heavily regulated in the united states that evil demon that has all these guns than it is in europe and new zealand and and uh, all these other places where they're just treated as a workplace safe and healthy you know health and safety health and safety yeah exactly Jason, one of the biggest things that all of your listeners 
can do on all of these topics, but pick one and work on it. And let's just take suppressors as an example. Write to your local MPs. Actually, put pen to paper. Then pick up the telephone and make an appointment and go in and sit down and talk rationally and calmly about why these things are good, why they are so popular in other parts of the world in both extreme uh, restrictive environments and unrestrictive environments. So compare Europe to New Zealand. But they both have suppressors. Why? Because it makes sense. And, uh, you know, that applies for should we be pushing cat C into D, into B? You know, go and take these topics to your local MP because when the things come up in the media, the MP then understands, well, hang on a minute, the stuff that we're seeing in the media is not what my constituents are telling me and my constituents seem normal, rational, sensible people. In their own mind, the MP is more likely then to support your point of view when something comes up in Parliament. So don't for a minute underestimate the value of sitting down and writing to your MP. But for goodness sake, don't be inflammatory. Be I polite. say on every show, write to your That's local right. MP. Yeah, write to them, fail. call them, go go have a sit-down meeting with them. Um, don't sit there and say, oh, bloody pollies, they're all no good. Well, guess what? I agree with you, a lot of them aren't. But <laughs> there, there, there's plenty out there that are, and they're just simply uneducated on certain issues. doesn't mean they're going to turn around and agree with everything you say, but... You may just put a little facts in there and a little don't beat them to death with micro issues, but just get in there and and say your piece and say it nice and politely and let them see you're a normal human being who whether you voted for them or you didn't it, that you're a normal voter out there and and the more they see of that we live in an age where people want to click a button on an e petition or something that yeah. doesn't have near the effect of writing them a letter, getting on the phone with them. Uh, I had 40 minutes on the phone the other day with my local member. Um, We talked about a number of things or going into the office. Uh, In a lot of cases, they want to hear some feedback because that's their job. You know, they, they, they're getting re-elected. And the more you can give them good feedback... Make them think you're yeah, voting for you. Exactly. Make, they make them think you're voting for them. Or that you may because, vote for them. Or yeah. you may vote for them. Listen, this is, you're putting me on the edge here. This is what you say is going to be whether I vote for you or not. But I'm surprised how many people I get emails from saying... Jason, I don't know where to start. I know there's a lot of people on the internet now. There's a couple of young guys running around that do have templates I don't think are any good, but they've got the main parts of it. Like I tell people, I've got a little USB stick. I've got my polys that I've sent things to. So when I go to send a new one, I just copy it, whether it's to that person. I change the date if it's a different issue. And I said, just keep it short and sweet. Put it in the mail, one or two paragraphs, three pages. They're going to laugh at it in the bin. Go on to shootersunion.com.au and, and log into the part about sending your, your politician a letter. There you and go. and it, just put your postcode in, and it'll come up with your politician, yep. and you can write to them. You have so to do it, that it makes right, it easy. You have to do that bit right after you join Shooters Union. And for 30 bucks <laughs> well, now. You have no, to, hey, you we, have to we, be we a member laugh. to log into that section. Have a, have we a should, free plug. We, we, should laugh, we, should, we, we shouldn't laugh too much here. I mean, for the best advocacy you're going to get in this country. For the cost of one box of ammo, and in some calibers it would only be cheap ammo. But seriously, thirty bucks a year. Um, ten, you know, now, you know, ten some, million dollars worth of liability insurance. You're out hunting, and something happens. Yeah, um, you're covered. Mm. That's pretty handy. Now, if you, thirty if, bucks if, a year, pretty cheap. If you want to plug into, say, Shooters Union New South Wales, for example, they have a different fee structure for their ranges. 
Shooters Union Australia doesn't operate ranges on mass around the countryside. Question: Will they be doing that? Are they, is there any? Is there any? Is it purely going to be advocacy? Shooters Union Australia won't be. However, Shooters Union at state levels will. We in Queensland we have access to a number of ranges that are run by clubs affiliated with us, even though they're not Shooters Union. So there's places where people can go. In New South Wales, Shooters Union New South Wales is actively involved currently in building a range. Um, I'm not sure where it is, but they're actively involved in in building one. Um, It's not our core business. It's not our core business, but we will have some just because some of our members want them in certain locations. But it's not our core business. We're an advocacy group with a little bit of that, as opposed to being a sporting group with a little bit of advocacy. Very good. Last one to finish off. I know you've done a pretty good job, Graham. Don't get a big head to it this uh, this late in the night. We've been here for just on what hour and forty minutes. Graham's falling over the chair right now, thinking I'm never going to talk to this guy again. <laughs> He's cut. This um, is it for his interviews. <laughs> <laughs> I've been cut off officially. Um, you did a good job on the SBS program. Uh, you know, I, I think you're the best person there by far. Um, there was people that didn't do very good. That yeah, some people that weren't prepared for the interview. I mean, you did. What was your thoughts on that whole uh, issue, that program? Um, I know you've told me it was, it was it was very intense. What was your general thoughts on it? Do you think it was good at the time? Are you, are you happy the way it came out, at least with your performance? Well, thank you for your comments. It, it was we we at Shooters Union debated long and hard as to whether to go on it. Um, and I went on it as a joint capacity as partly Shooters Union and partly National Farmers Federation because we felt the agricultural bodies you know, wanted a, a, a viewpoint. Yep. And uh, we were told one thing about that show that was going to happen, uh, that it was going to go in a certain direction. That was completely inaccurate. Once we got there, uh, I was very unhappy with the, the show ran, the taping of the show ran for about two and a half towards three hours, I think two and a half hours probably, to get a 50-minute show. So a lot of what people see isn't what's on there. And I would have to say the show itself seemed extremely biased. The audience was packed with victims, families of victims of gun violence and and other things, um, and a very few pro-shooting people. Uh, I thought the the show as as it as it was recorded was was very biased. However, I'll say this: uh, the editors did a very very good job. And what you saw at the end, if you think that was biased, was actually very fair considering the footage they had. And some people did some. There was some really really nasty stuff that they edited out. That was was done by some of the people, uh, anti gunners and others, uh, on that. And and I will, I am very respectful that the editors at, at SBS, with the footage they had, uh, did a reasonable job editing it. In the end, was I happy with it overall? No, of course not. I don't think we got uh, a chance to really. Uh, get our point across, but I also think some of us probably shot ourselves in the foot, myself included. Maybe I rabbited on too much, but no, I think you were the bit of the you know the shining light actually, because some of the you know things that were said from pro gunners, I know they're only trying their best, but unfortunately some of them just just, just weren't good enough in some of the arguments put forward. 
um, you know, gonna, could have been better. And luckily, we probably had you on there at least that could, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, balance that some people, a little bit. Some and, people handle the pressure uh, better yeah. than others in that environment, and that kind of media is very, very intense and attacking. And I'd have to say, Graham and his experience and training uh, and, and working with our media uh, consulting people. Um, Graham's a great guy to have in that environment because I spoke to him afterwards on the telephone. The guy was a train wreck. You know, he was yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I was seriously went back to the hotel room for one of those little <laughs> bottles of scotch they got in the minibar. <laughs> he doesn't I, drink. I, need, I needed it, and I wouldn't normally have one. I tell you, I was looking for one. David said, "Sound like I'd been in a car accident." It, it actually sort of felt like that. It was. It was pretty intense. We had one of the 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 victims. Uh, there who was literally screaming at us that we had blood on our hands, actually screaming. Now, that was cut out, thankfully. Um, but people screaming at you and things like that, it, was, it got pretty heated in the actual uh, filming of it. And anyone listening to this who was in the audience would know it, it got pretty heated. And, and I was, I was sort of, you know, I went back to the airport hotel afterwards because I was coming back to Brisbane early the next morning and I literally just sat on the, on the bed and I, I rang David because I just sort of needed to... Download. Download a little bit <laughs> for a few minutes. It was, uh, I, I've got to say, it's something I, I wished I'd never gotten here. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think we're lucky you did, actually. Well, I was going to say, someone... I, I'm glad Graham went because um, it, it could have been a lot worse if you didn't have someone of his ability to handle that pressure, handle the media and be cool, calm and factual and at the end of the day we need to stick with facts and uh, as a as a shooting community as a representative organization like us we need to be 110 percent on the ball the whole time and uh, yeah he did a great job I, I certainly I might have lost it <laughs> without going into specifics I mean obviously it was a long there for three hours I mean is there anything that could have done us any further damage I'm not obviously not specifically obviously from any specific person but is there anything that could have done us uh, a lot of damage from our pro shooters that really could have sunk us at the end of the day there were some comments made that were probably inflammatory are we we thankful they were left out uh, and inappropriate that we are very very thankful were left out hmm Got to remember, and, and this is a good thing for all of your listeners. If you, even if it's the local, you know, local rag newspaper, never slag off or attack the victim. You know, sure, you can bring up some facts and and, and bring normality and fact back into a discussion, but we as shooters, the minute we start, you know, irrationally attacking, uh, that's never going to look good. And um, I think, uh, yeah, if that none of that stuff got to air. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> all right. To finish off, is there anything? Uh, I just like, like really to to thank all the all our members that support us in Queensland and around the country. Uh, we've more than doubled our membership in the in the past twelve months, and I really thank the members for their patience. And as we've improved and upgraded, mostly we're volunteers. We have couple of part-time people but everyone else david and i we're all volunteers we don't get paid for doing it so it's really a labor of love we we believe in in firearm owners rights and so we get out there and we we so take it rolls off the tongue doesn't it, it feels we, fantastic we, we, doesn't it? we take time out of our businesses <laughs> and lives to do it uh, we do that because of the support of those members those people around the country that that join and yes yeah, not many dollars but 
it's just getting together and and the the great information we get from members a lot of the time we're we're really blessed with a lot of great people as members a lot of great people support us and we're really happy that that things like you are are out there i mean we know how many of our members listen to your shows how important your podcasts are to them and that's why we agreed to to come on and do this because when when david explained who you were and i suddenly realized how many of our members are always talking about you guys and and how great it is you're doing a real service the sort of things you're doing is because you're getting out there and giving people a voice using the modern media Mm. to get it out there and so many people are hearing um very tech savvy medium i'll give a lot of people a podcast and if you can do this for you know I mean, there's quite a bit of money and equipment here, but, you know, you can do it on a, on a relatively budget. And it's getting that word out to people that, you know, that uh, it, it really is. gives and, them a voice. And uh, we find guys like you and Aussie Reviews, uh, you know, out there doing some great work along with, along with many other people. You know, you get, a, get them on, on the Internet and you see some of these forums and Firearm Owners United and, and others that are coming up, new groups. They're really getting out to a whole wider audience, and, and I think it's 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 just fantastic. Imagine if see. we had social media and relatively inexpensive media back in '96. It might have been a whole. Uh, you would have seen a whole game. different argument. Mm. It, they came very close to losing. If you watch that SBS show, John Howard says in there they did cut some, but they left in there where he says how he had to push it through very rapidly exactly. or he never would have got right, it through. Right, exactly. That's that's a very honest statement from, from Mr. But don't Howard. We, don't we live in a democracy where we have He knew that it wouldn't things? work in democracy and it yeah, needed yeah. to be shoved down your throat. Exactly. If that happened today with the speed of social media and things, I think they would have had a very much harder time doing it and I think that's why there's more and more pushback. And you've also got a whole younger audience who really – were either little kids when that happened or or things and they weren't involved they don't really remember it but they live come up in an age where there's more licensing for everything whether it be a bobcat operator a chainsaw pest control chainsaw you know <laughs> just about you, you can get a certificate well <laughs> you can do a course on it That's and right. Arborist, um yeah. so there's all sorts of courses but they also expect once they go through all the hoops and do the course that they get largely left alone because they're considered competent. And what they find, they go get a firearms license and they're treated as an incompetent potential criminal instead of, hey, someone that's gone through all the background checks, they should be proud. They should better hold that up. When you go into a a bank or somewhere for ID and they say, oh, firearms license, oh, yes, sir, because you've gone through all the extra (laughs) stuff. It really should be. Yeah, I know. It's it's wrong on so many levels and it's fantastic to me to see a lot of younger people stand up and saying, hey, I don't like this, and I'm going to – he hates it when I bang on the table. <laughs> I like banging on the table. <laughs> Only because of some was luckily I brought my uh, little shock mounts, otherwise it would vibrate up through the uh, microphone. But uh, no, go on. <laughs> Obviously, I wasn't made for radio. I want to He's passionate. Ba- bang He's passionate. on the thing. I, I do I, because I think it, it's wrong, but I'm so thrilled to see a lot of people in their, their 20s and 30s really standing up and going, hey, wait a minute, they don't – because people will say, oh, you just want it back pre-96. No, I think we need to have it for 2016 and 2020. I think we need to move into a modern age. We need to modernize and make firearms management more effective. And that can increase public safety while decreasing the intrusions on your rights and decreasing costs. 
question. Very interesting one. Someone asked me, sorry to bring this one, because I think, it's, I think we need to talk about it. We talk about rights and, and stuff like that. Now, let's say, I don't think John Howard foresaw that having a genuine reason would result in organisations and people getting together. Now, I've, I've had discussions with people saying, if it came down to it, you know, because of the genuine reason, there'd be organisations, whoever they may be, might say, well, no, we don't agree with getting rid of a genuine reason because at the end of the day, that'll hurt the bottom dollar. Is it about our rights or is it about um, making money? A very, a very interesting... Listen, I understand that. I can see these it guys, was, their was, eyes are freaking out right now. It, but it was a double-edged sword. In 96, they brought in that you had... One of the things they said is, for most people, had to be a member of a club. Mm. Uh, of some sort that of course turned around in an unexpected way well maybe it wasn't unexpected maybe it was completely expected those clubs then had a vested interest in the law because if you've got lots of people renewing and giving you money it's very hard to argue against that part of the law uh i can tell you very clearly what shooters union position is What's that? You should not have to do that. That is not relevant. We, we are quite happy to give up that funding tomorrow morning if they came to us and said, well, if we come in with you don't have to be a member of a club, people I'm quite should, happy People with, should want to be a member of a club. Maybe not because yes, they have to. Yes, it should be voluntary. Because they we, have to. Because they want we, we, we're offering them something that we they have I want to be a member of. More the, than half our members are members of other clubs, well over half our members. So they're voluntary. They don't have to be a member of ours just for the genuine reason. Exactly. But, but they are. We can give them a genuine reason, but they're actually out because they voluntarily You know what? You've just, if, I'm not a member of the Shooters' Union, only because I've got summer, but on Monday... We're number eight, well, are we? Actually, <laughs> <laughs> it almost gets like that, isn't it? On, I'm going home on Thursday and I'm going on a hunt, but next week, by the end of next week, I'll be a member of the Shooters' Union. Congratulations. Yeah, because yeah. anyone – I've had that discussion he with people. He made us work hard for it, David. <laughs> almost two hours. But my point – a lot of people have said that. And anyone, in my opinion, that would say, no, you know, we, we, we want that genuine reason, purely out of the fact for some cockamimi reason, but we know it's about the money, I would be livid and extremely disappointed in an organisation that wouldn't advocate to get rid of that and, and, and have activities and advocacy because they want to be, not because they're forced to be. And as you, as you probably rightly said, maybe it was planned by John Howard this way, but then I also think maybe not. You know, maybe we've got organisations like you guys, we've got you know, organisations all across the country that people have to be members of, and that's created a lot of money. That's created, and potentially, a power maybe that we're not utilising. Yeah, it you has know? helped. It's actually helped the quote firearms lobby in in some ways that that ruling so it's it's been a double-edged sword uh, on it and it's one of those perhaps unintended consequences that people talk about mm, but you just sold me on that the fact that you just said that i'll be a member so david anything to uh say to um finish off no um i think we've pretty much covered most topics uh, other than yeah for the cost of a box of ammo and in some calibers only a cheap box of ammo um, I think it's outstanding. <laughs> well, seriously, I, I think it's outstanding value. I mean, you look at, uh, um, you know, this country's uh, a fraction of the population of the United States, and um, you know, the NRA's five, six million people. Um, you know, if we had uh, advocacy at the NRA level, uh, and, and really, that's where we should be heading. That involves funding, and uh, the single biggest thing, if every shooter stuck. And, and look, literally, I mean, I'm a member, I think, of six. Um, you're going to be eight. 
the join an organisation <laughs> that supports your gun rights. Yeah, in one way or another, be it your local clay target club or pistol or club or whatever double S double whatever it is. It, it doesn't. We're not saying just join us. Of course, mm. we want you to join ours, but join one and support it because the more people join organisations that support shooting. The stronger the sports gets, the stronger firearms, legitimate firearms ownership gets, and I think that's helpful to everyone. When you go to a Senate-type inquiry like Graham has or there's NFA things or what have you, if you've got a strong shooters' union, you've got a strong double S, double A, you've got a strong um, uh, pistol shooting uh, association, and they're all sitting around the table saying, hang on, we have tens of thousands of members... And these are genuine concerns. You actually get listened to. So it's actually remember that rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah, I. uh, uh, You really need to be a member of several organisations, and look, it might cost you a couple of hundred bucks a year. Um, but when we get, but join us first. Yeah, (laughs) but when you get when you get rights taken away from you, well, I can see it just feels good, doesn't it? See, when you talk like that, I get motivated. (laughs) I get motivated. Like when I I I said this to a friend the other day, I do it Mario, do it one of our shows with. Yeah, when I watch the NRA stuff, and I mean they're not swearing, they're not you know boisterous, they're just saying our rights. They're 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 very honestly sit there. I get up and I'm almost fist pumping. I've said this before on the show. I get I get motivated. You know what I mean? And I think people are yearning for like the shooters' union to take that. You know, by the scruff of the neck, so to speak, and say, right, we're, we're charging forward. This is what we're going to be doing. This is our intentions, which I know you've been doing that anyway. Scruff of the neck, we're moving forward. We're going to be the premier, you know, organisation. So you secretly sit there and watch all the NRA yeah, uh, conventions. Not all of them, obviously, yeah, and but you when get I, this this patriotism, I and do. you think you're, you're right, not too yep. sure which national anthem to sing. Not really, but I just, <laughs> I just, when I thought about it, sometimes, and I mean, and that's probably going to change after today. When I look at, I'm a life member of the NRA. And I'm a member of several different organisations, and and I can honestly say, I'm not saying I'm not, not not proud, but the only one I can look at right now that I'm actually a member of is the NRA. I look, I'm going, I'm actually really proud to be a member of that organisation. I'm not, I'm yeah. not even American. Us too, you know. And ho- I want people to look at the, the, the shooters union. And say, yeah, I, I, I'm proud to be a member of the shooters union. I know they've got our back, and I know they're they're going to rights. One thing quickly, the NFA, just very quickly. Do you think there's going to be any negative changes, especially Adler's, et cetera, et cetera? What do you guys think, just offhand quickly? I think it's all up in the air, but I, I think, uh, yes, we'll, I'm, I'm be surprised if I don't see some. However, the current state of the government, uh, whether they act on the recommendation. Yes, I think there'll be negative recommendations. Do I think the government will action, the federal government will action them? I'm not so sure on that because of the status of the federal government, as was evidenced last week when a few of them went home early. What happened? <laughs> yeah, Minister Keenan was one of them, wasn't he? Very naughty boy. <laughs> Very that, interesting. That was sort of good to watch. I, I'm surprised at how well they've kept it under wraps. Um, oh, I just feel something you know, Because coming. they knew how much the... The, the shooting community of firearm owners reacted and, and there was a groundswell and it horrified the politicians. So what they've done is they've removed it from the political process into back into shadowy working groups yeah. where they can totally ignore all the input we put in. Because I went to those committee meetings last year uh, around the country in Melbourne and Sydney and Canberra and et cetera uh, on it. And there were some very good recommendations made to them as well as some very bad ones. Um, 
I'm I'm thinking they will come out with some negatives, but it's no use what ifing until we see it, and then we'd be re- ready to react very quickly, very strongly, because they will try and do it as a fait accompli. They will try and say, oh, well, this is done, and what they're going to do is they're going to throw it to the police commissioners in the States and say, all the police commissioners want to do this, so we're just going along with them, where the politicians yeah. will yet again try and avoid their responsibility to stand up for the people that vote for them. So you better be ready out there to act very fast and jump strongly when you do hear something negative come out. And I would suggest it could be far more than what you're thinking about any lever action shotgun issue. Yeah. Yeah. There's the potential there. The potential is there. For a lot of extremist mischief. Yeah. So just be ready. Everybody be ready to start punishing your local MP. Politely, if, if they're going to go along with it, they may not. They may look at the recommendations and back off because of the political situation they've found themselves Especially in. Especially after this recent after election, the recent too. election. Mm. So, I don't think anyone's really sure on that. I know that the bureaucrats think they've had a win and they're very cocky. And a couple of bureaucrats that I've had contact with in those sort of departments around the country seem very cocky in not a good way that they've got something cooking. But I'm not sure what, and in all honesty, regardless of rumours out there, no one's sure what. Yeah, I get very concerned when the police commissioners have way too much of a say uh, in regards to firearms laws, and the and the you know the the police ministers not not standing up to some of the commissioners. You know, I just get well. Quite worried. I know you're from Sydney, Jason. I know the New South Wales police minister. Uh, He's in my bad Troy, books. He's um, in my bad books, though. Graham being uh, on the Greyhound ban. I think this is the yes, first of but, many. But it's uh, on the firearms issue last year. He actively he came say, out yep, and yep, said, "You know, look, ninety five percent of the crimes are committed, not committed by firearms. This legal is why firearms. I've got a love hate relationship. And, and he, Troy Grant, stood up very well for that, and then strangely has jumped into this really bizarre thing with the with the greyhounds but that's not our major issue but yeah, it exactly. is it does indicate a lack of respect for people's rights and property yeah absolutely all right graham park and david brown join me here on the australian hunting podcast representing the shooters union of australia guys thank you very much for joining me Appreciate thanks for it. having us it's been you. a blast You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.